500 years ago he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck and upon the skull of the man who killed his dad he said i'm mad i must eradicate piracy injustice and cruelty g'day everyone this is xband the phantom podcast episode number 230 uh we're the team from chronicle chamber we're at the uh, website chroniclechamber.com and of course uh if you're listening to this you know that you can access our podcasts wherever you're listening to it and uh i'd encourage you to subscribe that way uh if possible give us a rating on whatever app you're on um so that uh you know, we can get found by more Phantom fans. Uh, so, as I said before, this is episode 230, September 22, Comics and News Podcast. We're excited to bring to you the news of September um, and very excited that at the end of this episode, we're going to do our Patreon Spring Draw, which is a uh, the prize this year, this this season for our one of our lucky patrons is this, uh, this Jan Hofstrom bag. But we'll get to that at the end of the podcast. My name's Dan Fraser and tonight I am joined not by Steve, unfortunately because uh he's doing holidays properly and going to see the theme parks on the gold coast um instead we've got our regular germ how are you germane your regular germ um <laughs> is, that the, is that the winter flu version or what <laughs> just, just i'm doing common... good thanks mate <laughs> just the common flu eh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely and the uh, the less common fluid the less common germ if you like um a special guest joining us today is duncan munro how are you duncan and welcome to a comics and news pod Dan, thank you very much. Uh, Jermaine, it's nice to uh, feel about as welcome as COVID. Go off for for five seconds and stay for two years. Um, Now, Duncan, we did say that you had to be in the car. The two rules were you had to be in the car and you had to stay stay awake for some of it and then fall asleep (laughs) because you're filling in Stephen's shoes. Um, You're not in the car, mate. Oh, this is the (laughs) backseat. Nice backseat. I promise to get fifty percent of that work done while I'm on your podcast. <laughs> oh, very good. Well, we don't want to be here for five seconds and staying two years, even though the comics and news pods can uh, can drag out. Um, so we're going to hook straight into it, and we're going to start talking about the comics that have come out since our last pod. And we we do have to start with. Uh, um through 1925 now i know we have already had a podcast on this and go back and listen to pod 228 if you haven't already the the chat with paul mason but uh we're going to touch briefly at least because duncan hasn't had the chance to talk about uh through 1925 but it's obviously the masked marvel special with uh the the original uh from lee fork and wilson mccoy and then of course the sequel from paul mason which we uh spoke so much about um, until the final bell. Um, so, Dun- Duncan, German and I have already had a chance to wax lyrical about uh, this issue. Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, I Thank you for giving me an opportunity. I did listen to your podcast and thought it was a great review and a great uh, interview with Paul. Um, I thought this was a fantastic issue and I'd been looking to, to it coming out for quite some time. Um, you covered most of it in the, uh, the previous uh, interview, so um, and, and quite in depth, including uh, asking Paul some of his uh, motivations and, and background behind some of the decisions he made in the storytelling. So for viewers and listeners that haven't heard that podcast, go back and listen to it. Uh, but I think it's a great example of what Paul described as filling the gaps. So modern day creators going back and looking at the classic stories and finding a way to, while staying true to the character and staying th- true to that story, is finding a new turn or a new take on it uh, to introduce uh, newer readers uh, to that classic story. So they'll go in reverse and go back and read the original story. And Fru's conveniently put it all in one issue for everyone. In colour as well. 
And in colour, it's a fantastic way to see that. So the old and bold, the classics can uh, can enjoy that classic story in a different way uh, and see a new creator's turn on it. Uh, I also like that this is the issue that they chose to use for the sketch, uh, the new style sketch cover, uh, because I think it's a good opportunity for um, a lot of people buy those for gifts for people. Um, and it's an opportunity for them when they're going home on the train or the bus after they've been to the convention to flip through the book and maybe uh, pick up a new reader at the same time. It was a really good story, and I really liked um, uh, a couple of moments in there where he's talking about the the fighter's mind or the warrior's mind in, inside the Phantom, where he's got that internal monologue, um, and he's it's not about the the pugilism of the fight; it's about the the motivation and the discipline inside the fighter. And I thought that was great because that was really a theme that wasn't explored in the early story, but was paid tribute to because. Um, in that editorial note at the back, Paul talks about Jim Shepard calling out that uh, that Lee Falk saw more in the sport of boxing than just it being about fighters. And some of his counterparts who were playwrights and intellectuals probably didn't make that distinction and he was trying to. It was a really great story. Yeah. Mm. Um, I thought the colouring was good. This is, from memory, this is the first time we've seen a colour issue on the new paper stock. Mm. Um, I think I'm pretty sure it is. I think it's, I think it's worth the investment of the better paper. And um, Excellent. I know I know Paul said that he was a little bit disappointed in some of the colours, but um, you know Paul's a bit of a perfectionist, and if there was you know, <laughs> no offence, but you know if there was a a line out of out of you know synced or something, he would be disappointed where no one else would even notice. So, well, obviously, uh, obviously, he's completely zoomed in on every panel as he's drawing it and inking yeah. it. Um, so he, he will know intimately how the colours are supposed to look um, in the best possible quality. And, uh, yeah, it might have been nice to see even a glossy uh, white for this one. But um, I do agree that, um, you know, we have talked about the colours in the through pages not looking their best before. But I think they've been improving those over time. This would be, and it's to do with the paper stock, certainly, um, this would be one of the better ones and, and the quality of, of Ivan and Paul's work. But, um, yeah. look... Uh, I, I um, have gone back and read this another couple of times, and it just um, it stays good with every every reading. So um, yeah, um, any other comments before we move on from that one, guys? Because we have covered it in in, in pretty good detail previously. Um, I just want to say that I think a typical fans from fan um, fashion, Dan, never happy. We've been calling out for good paper quality. We get it, and it's still not good enough. And now you want glossy paper. Um, Absolutely love it. <laughs> oh, well, be that as it may, no, I'm, I wouldn't be looking for glossy cover. It probably would be too thick and heavy to post then. Um, but no, I yeah, really enjoyed it. So, yeah. Um, so you made mention of the uh, sketch cover. So it's good to see another version of sketch cover. I think this is probably the best version of the sketch cover we have seen for we've released two others. I would still like it a little bit less with just the phantom on the top and then maybe the little number bit at the top corner. But apart from that, I think it's a real good step in the uh, right direction, getting rid of that circle. Um, and then the other thing we need to make mention, of course, is that Fru has got the poster as well, which um, if you're on YouTube, we're flicking through the stories and then this is the poster here. And that, that poster looks great in real life. Yeah, um, I haven't 
found a home for mine yet, but um, here's, here's mine uh, that's very big. It's um, a great idea for a tie-in to that issue. Yeah. Well, it, it, it makes sense. Like, yeah, you know, for, you know, people are going to buy it. It was, what, $25? Yeah. Um, $20. 20 Oh, I, I can't remember. Oh, $20. Yeah, that's right, because that's what we tell our wives uh, and everything costs us. You probably can allow $25 <laughs> with the inflation rise of cost of living these days. <laughs> Very good, Dan. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm, so have you all brought a poster? Yeah. I haven't got mine yet, but it's, uh, I've got a few things I need to pick up from Fruel at the same time, and I'm keen to uh, – you, you buy one poster, it's the same postage as if you buy eight, and I'm a bit of a tight ass Cheapskate. Sorry, Jim, you can edit that. <laughs> so what? Uh, so you, are you waiting to buy other stuff? But surely you will buy two, one for you, one to keep, and then one for um, Gus. Well, you're up to three already, and uh, there is. Uh, uh, I was going to get a couple of extra generations posters and that sort of thing. So, anyway, point being, I need to save a little bit longer to fill the poster tube rather than just get them posted out one at a time. <laughs> yeah. And a great thing to get Paul to sign at uh, appearances. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. The challenge being then the carrying it around in the, through the Supernova <laughs> or Comic Con. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he would have the poster, so you just buy another poster, and then you know you got to carry it back rather than yeah, carry yeah. it to and then back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good. All right, so we will move on then to through 1926, and that is the uh, the one with the Alex Trip cover, um, Kit and the Pirates, um, with the Clay Rumethi and uh, Caesar Spadari story. Um, Caesar Spadari's last. Uh, story before he unfortunately passed away. This this issue having first been published by Funtman in 2019. Um, it's got the backup story, Wolves in London, Part 3 by Andrew Constant and Jason Paulos. Um, the um, cover is um, from the folio prints, I think, or just similar. Did Alex Tripp continue? Uh, we could talk about the folio prints at the end. Let's talk about the stories to begin with. So Kit and the Pirates, as I said, uh, written by Close from Earthy, um, drawn by Cesar Spadari. Uh, what do we think about this one? Uh, Jim, how about you go first this time? Um, look, Cesar Spadari is a, one of my all-time favourite artists. Um, always loved his art. Grew up, well, not grow up on it, but grew up as a fan on his work. You know, like mid-90s, late-90s was my earlier, you know, informative years as a Phantom fan. You know, he was quite prolific. Uh, liked all his stories. He's good at um, pirates. He's done all the Kate Somerset series. Um, he did oh, what was that one? Um, a Mary Poe was another art of the the pirate queen. One, one, two, three, or four, or six, or something along those lines. That was a great story that I enjoyed as a kid as well. Um, it helped that I had a pretty blonde in it. Um, so, you know, so all these stories he's done, I've enjoyed pirate stories. I've enjoyed his work, enjoyed his artwork. Um, that's one of the reasons why I've enjoyed the, um, the stories by Percy Ocker as well is because there's a lot of heavy influence by him with Caesar. Um, so yeah, look, I enjoyed this story. Um, it's nice. I like seeing a bit of stories about a phantom before he becomes the phantom 
um, because you kind of get... I feel like sometimes when they become the Phantom, they get a little bit more wooden, when they're, but when they're a kid or when they're not quite the Phantom, there can be a little bit more of a room to play with the personality of the Phantom. And I feel that we get a lot more of an understanding of this Phantom before he becomes a Phantom through stories like this. Um, but yeah, no, overall I enjoyed it. It was, um, it was nice. Mm. I guess that um, they certainly, you can put a lot more expression on faces when you can show the eyes. I mean, that's a, <laughs> um, that's probably a handy thing for the artists. Um, but you're right. I think though that, that that trend of authors in the last five to 10 years and close from would be certainly chief amongst them exploring um, the the Phantom's personality and self-doubt, um, which we never used to see um, as much by Lee Falk, or certainly I don't recall it that way. Um, Duncan, what about you? What did you think of this this story? Uh, I thought this was a... There's been a bit of a spate of uh, pirate stories with the Phantom with through this year, and I think there's some more coming, which I don't have an issue with. Like like you were saying, you were, there was a, another recent cover by Alex with a uh, heavy pirate theme on the cover. Um the combination of writer and artist in this story, I really enjoyed it. So mm. the, the pacing of this story, like the thing that normally puts me off with a lot of the European Egmont stories is how many panels they try and squeeze on a page and they get these fantastic artists and then they're, they're cramming these uh, small, cramming their art into small panels to make fit heaps on a page and there's lots of text. Um, this The pacing of this is amazing. It's like you're watching a fast-paced movie and as it gets to the end, I was turning the pages to see what was going to happen as as the the two different storylines were tying together. It was a great climax to the story. Yeah, mm. no, you, you raise a good point there. Um, they've done a lot of stories together, Clayson Caesar. So, um, you know, it's sad that we've lost them, but it's also exciting in the sense that we've had we've been left with such a legacy um, with their work. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely have to agree with what you said there about the the panel sizes and that, Duncan. And and I think I, that's probably what, yeah, again, puts me off um, Egmont crowded stories from time to time is is just how crowded the pages look. And this is uh, a very open and fresh design, so it looks great. I really enjoyed the the story as well and the, the concept of um, Kid having to join the pirates and um, go undercover, so to speak, but then not being able to help himself and getting busted anyway. Um and and then the way that he works um, to to hold the pirates off and all that sort of stuff, he, you know, it's, it's similar to what you were saying at the start there, Jim. You're starting to see him develop into the Phantom. He's not there yet. Um, I, I did get a giggle out of the um, the top left panel on page 22. I'm not sure if you can bring that one up, Jim. Um, Kit's done a Kit has done a fantastic job of um, holding off the pirates, and um, they've all gone to shore and all the rest of it. He signaled to his dad. Dad's on the way. Happy days. Oh no, I forgot they had rafts. Um, yeah. it's, <laughs> I forgot that the pirates rafted over to the shore and they could raft back. So um, hasn't got all of his wits about him just yet, uh, but uh, but he's on the way. But it's a believable accident, like you know, like sometimes where you know we, we, probably our the biggest one that we hate on this podcast is when they get whacked in the head. That it's a, an easy way of getting the phantom captured, where it's like you can understand that he forgot the rafts being young he's what probably 16 to 18 you know he's still going to make some foolish decisions and all that so it is believable all um, he had to put instead yeah. of that in that speech bubble was 
oh, they're back already, something like that. And he sounds a lot more um, in charge of things. It's the <laughs> – anyway. <laughs> yeah, valid point. What, right. did you, what did you guys think about the um, uh, the Wolves in London story? Oh, I'm on the record as not enjoying the uh, the Gaslighty series as much. It's fun. It's it was a fun read. Um, we say that a lot on the pod when I think we just um, you know <laughs> it's code for. Uh, not again. <laughs> it's capable, enjoyable, but it's not probably something I'm going to seek out to read twice. So See, I didn't think it's enjoyable. I enjoyed the last Phantom like Gaslight one, which was the floating ship with the pirate queen and stuff like that. Like that was, and I think I've been on record in saying that, that for me, that's been the most Phantom by Gaslight story we have actually seen. It's got the the over the top modern elements of old technology, i.e., a floating sh- a floating sky ship, but it's actually still a phantom story. Like someone gets kidnapped, the phantom rescues it. This is I don't know werewolves and the you know Frankenstein and all these supernatural elements. It's not exactly my phantom, or what I picture of a phantom story. I think monsters are a, a strength with Andrew in his writing, though. I think mm. that's uh, it seems to be a natural place for him to go. And a lot of the stories, like you mentioned, Frankenstein and things like that, uh, and the Raven was it the Raven story in one of the jobs. Yeah. So that was enjoyable, but I guess you weren't trying to fit the Phantom into a monster story. That's that might be that might be where I kind of struggle with is that you, you know, like. The story is good, but I struggle with it being. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm now old and one of those old people that just don't like you know change and stuff like that. But um, I I, oh, look, I don't Jeff, see my phantom. It's but not, people have it's been not my phantom. <laughs> people have been complaining about phantom and, and monster stories, or um, I suppose science fiction. More to the point, when uh, Lee Falk did it in the sixties with the uh, was it Blue Horn. Pirates, uh, no, Blue Horned um, People. Dark, oh, I'm forgetting the name of it, the Dark Star or something like that. So you've um, got Horn the Star. Blue, yeah, the Horn Star uh, demons. demons. And then you've also got the Blue Giant. Um, and then you've got the story, the 1990s story of how the Phantom saved the Earth as well, uh, which kind of felt like something out of Captain, yeah. what was it? Captain um, Planet. Yeah. Um, yep, spin yep. off with that story. And look, the little people and his and hers, like there's people, you know, and there's lots of people who don't like those sorts of things and they'll be the same people who don't like um, the werewolves. I'll wager that any of those stories we've just rattled off of Lee Forks are not necessarily your favourite ones either. No, um, no. But what what you would have to say is for a, for a werewolf story, if you're going to have the Phantom in a werewolf story, it's a really good one. Um, and as, as you said, Pairing earlier, you said about Ramethi and Spideri. Um, I think the pairing of Andrew Constance's writing and Jason Paulus's art is fantastic too. So, mm, um, yeah. So, I reckon I would have enjoyed the story more if the Phantom was substituted for, say, the Raven or one of the other free created or free owned um, characters. None of them really play in the supernatural either, though. 
Yeah, but I don't have an invested interest in those. <laughs> but but it is important to remember that uh, these stories are serving a purpose, and that's to fill yep. a space in a, a comic that would otherwise be ads for messenger bags and cards that you've already got. So, um, and people writing into Dudley Sam, they do or don't like the collector's edition. So, so instead, they just start podcasts and do it that way. <laughs> and it's. Uh, and they're, they're punchy stories, so they're chapters, and I think they're yep. digestible enough to, to be that punchy uh, chapter of a story. Um, the most recent issue uh, had the third part of that story, and I went back and read the other two uh, to read that again just to refresh myself because it had been it's sort of a six it weeks. It was a break, yeah. Um, uh, but it is a, a really good story uh, punched together, and there are some nice moments. I'll wait till the next issue for part three, which was one of my favourites. But um, uh, this I is think, we are talking about part three at the moment, are we? Yeah. Oh yeah. So you're right. Um. So that is. Uh, thanks, Stephen. <laughs> sorry, I said that. Um. Uh. Is is when uh. Sorry. Is where the lawman uh comes across his wife, and they find her in the shadows, and um and the phantom has the the idea to break the amulet and mm. set her up in an ambush and he says he says to her hi and he goes uh you look a bit tense <laughs> that's to be expected <laughs> it's so great it, anyone that's been in a long-term relationship knows <laughs> it's like someone pressing in the morning uh, a little bit delicate i think that was it captured very well there by andrew i love that moment a long a long term even a short term <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've just brought it up for those on YouTube. You should be able to see it again. So this is on um, uh, what is it? Page twenty nine. It looks like. Yeah. Um, and look, look. I, I take your point, and you do raise a good point. Is that it is? Um, it fulfills the purpose. I like having two stories in one comic. Um, and there will be there will. Be, and to be on the flip side and to counter-argue my own argument, there will be fans that do like this, and it's a great way of, if you think about it, the all of the stories, uh, all of the issues that we get, the three comics that we, that we are going to review today have multiple um, target audiences. You have your classic with your Paul Mason, with the um, your classic, your Wilson... McCoy stories, then you've got your Paul Mason one, which is, you know, more of your drama type of thing. And then you have the Island and the Kit and the Pirates, which is, you know, a little bit more action-y and, and stuff. And then you've got your, your your sci-fi mystery monster theme. And then you've got your Golden Queen, which is a, a real love story type of thing. So there's, you know, there's a real four or five different types of genres mm. that these three comics do. And each comic has a different style in it, which really can target multiple um, audiences. So I do take that is a very good point. And, and to your point, Jim, the the people like one of the one of the motivations behind I think Frew and mostly Glenn and Dudley getting um, uh, different creators to work on the stories is to bring a new audience across with those yep. creators. And a lot of Andrews. Work he's worked for a lot of different publishers, mm. uh, but they'll his fans will be expecting a certain kind of writing from him. Yeah, and I think the line to that. Can I can I ask you then, 
is it a bit of a mess that um, we get to the end of the Andrew Constant story, we turn the page and there's an ad for um, the, the ghost and the monster doesn't mention Andrew Constant's name at all, um, which uh, seriously, Dudley, have a look at your, uh, at your ad writing. <laughs> but, but I think it is, um, I think it's a good in for uh, his readers to yep. see a short story that he might have on the table at a con or they get because Andrew Constant wrote it. Uh, and then they're going to read a kid in the pirate story, which is this fantastic example of a classic fandom story. Like mm. that's what a lot of fandom stories are like. So if you like it, go pick some more up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. The only thing that I, I I enjoy having the two stories in a in a single issue too. But uh, and I've said this before, I'd really love a splash page between them, just to like even even the start of the story with some nice big panels like we see in the first issue. The the second story often just seems it feels like it bleeds in. That's why I was actually checking to see if there was um, and they've used the the last page here for an ad that could have been a splash page for um the wolves of london story um you know freeze entitled to spend their pages on their ads if they like but as you said duncan a lot of us have uh, if you're picking up this book you've already got um well a lot of us already got all of that stuff anyway i'd just like to see a splash page but uh, understand space constraints which are even worse if i can use that as a segue um when we look at issue 1927 because every page of issue 1927 has been used on story uh, right up to the very end and uh, so much so that there's not even room for message for the publisher. So um, talk about filling your 36 pages um, with story. Issue 1927 has certainly done that. Um, I, reckon, I reckon Dudley likes these type of issues. <laughs> uh, it's one less job for him. <laughs> he ironically didn't have room to include the letter from someone saying there wasn't enough content in the Phantom Comics anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so... Um, um, yeah, you I enjoyed this story. I really yeah. enjoyed this story. Um, look, again, Close Remofi, Carrie Lepinan, they've created probably a hundred stories together. You know, you know, maybe more realistic, fifty to seventy, but still a lot of stories they've created together. They um Carrie uh in speaking to Carrie, uh he's got a real love for uh Close Remofi and for his style, and I think they work well together. Um I like this story. It's not the first time we've seen the Phantom become blind. Um, there was another story actually by Le Pen. Uh, what was it? Was it the Golden Rune Part 2? Or maybe Part 1, I believe, where he was also um, uh, blinded and he had to go through the adventure being blind. I do like how, as you can see again, if you're on YouTube here, um, you'll be able to see, like, the Phantom's got his mask bla uh, blacked in. I thought that's a, a clever way of, of you know, we, we talked before about being hard to show emotion on the Phantom's face with mm. a cow and the eyes, but I think that's a good way of showing that he's blind. It's a good, you know, a way of doing that. Um, yeah, he does He does have him blacked in on pages four and five, though, before he goes blind, so... <laughs> Um, but you're right, maybe leave those ones out. But uh, no, Don't ruin the point, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But you're right, that page is really effective because yeah, of yeah. You know. um, Look, I like it. It's, you know, it's very fan to me. You know, you've got ships, again, shipwrecked. You've got a tiger 
doing it you've got the redemption story of the of the guy who's got the skull mark and then he gets the good mark i think there needs to be more of those types i think i only remember one other story where that's happened um i think that's a, a bit of a miss by a lot of creators you know that you could we know that people can get worse being in jail but it's also nice to see that maybe sometimes people can turn their life around as well and help out the fan and get a good mark ring and um but yeah and i i enjoyed the story what about you guys uh, and the only thing I'll say about your point is it'll lead to a uh, black market in good marks. Of, uh, <laughs> no, 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 I was redeemed. <laughs> Instead of growing a beard, look, I've got this little tattoo down here. Yeah. And, I'm redeemed. <laughs> and I totally didn't get that done at the tattoo shop. <laughs> yeah. But that, uh, and on that, uh, I think it was allowed for that great moment where um, the, the wife finds the phantom and, and leads him back to help and then, the, the, the husband's nervous and you don't know why and then he turns around and you see the skull mark and the mm. phantom can't see it and so mm. it is that he doesn't know who he is but a couple of panels later he figures it out because he's listening or whatever mm. i think if this was a like a tv sh an episode of a phantom tv show if anyone's listening um and uh it, that, that drama could have been held a lot more where the audience knows why the character's acting that way uh, but the Phantom doesn't, and there should be a disconnect there where the Phantom is just treating him like a normal person, and this, uh, that softens the bad guy up to go, well, he doesn't actually know that I'm that guy. Mm. Yeah. I reckon you, I reckon in, on that point, where you've got, you know, like you, you can't see the Phantom's eyes and there's always the shadows or there's always the thing in front of it and stuff like yeah. that. If you're doing a TV show, you would almost keep, the audience still guess trying to guess mm. why this guy doesn't like the phantom and build build that with it but um yeah I, yeah it's it yeah, will at least make a second good. or third ad break before you the audience gets to see the skull mark and then a couple more before he realizes yeah 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 mm. but um yeah so hopefully someone's out there is listening to us um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I like the redemption story um it, but it still leaves a little bit off the story i guess for it either to be picked up again or just left out there for people to kind of want uh, think about and stuff which i think is good i don't think i think sometimes you don't always want certain elements to be solved in a story sorry are you talking about having a sequel to this story germ do you well, mean so you know like there's there's you know, does he go back to the jungle? Does he go to Morristown? What happened to the money that was um, uh, hidden? Did he actually hide the money? Or, you know, are the people still looking for him? You know, are they going to find him when he goes back to the jungle? And is that going to, you know, th there's all these type of questions. Like, I'm reading it and I'm going, what about the money? We, you know, where's the money? Did he, did he keep the money or did he not keep the money? Or That's how he bought the island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, like there's... it does conclude very quickly. This story, it's sort of just rattling along, and then suddenly the last two panels, boom, you're done. So, yeah, I can I can understand why you were left feeling like, hey, I need to turn one more page here. But I think it's good. It, it makes you question it, and then it, like you know, you, you, you're sitting there, you're sitting there. You know, obviously, 
I only sat there for a minute because I had to go back to work. Um, but, you know, you're sitting there going, well, what about this? What about that? And it's making you think about the story and, you know, and I'm sure there will be other people out there that will go, oh, well, we could create a story about this or whether they actually put it down on paper or whether they just let their mind wander. And I think it's good to, that the, the mm. creative team have um, allowed room for either for fans to enjoy what-ifs about what could happen. Mm. Big well, it's part of the part of the talent of good story writing, isn't it? Letting the giving the audience people to wonder uh, things to wonder about, mm. um, and you don't need to resolve everything and every little thing because that um, otherwise, where would you get, fan fiction would never exist. So, mm. yeah. I, I think the, I, like point of, bats, I like this bat, um, like you know, going into the bat caves and you know, freaking them out, and then it's kind of like, well, you know, then he equals. You know, okay, you're blind, I'm blind. Now it's my jungle skills, which are, you know, taken away your strength. And I'm now using my strength, which is the jungle skills, against you. And I, mm. I like that as well. And the wit of um, spreading the shells. So he actually had an advantage all of a sudden because he knew mm. what that was about. And he, he knew if it was crunching and it wasn't him, um, that it, it must be one of the bad guys, obviously. Yeah. And then I like the other bit where oh, this is probably isn't probably the best one, best example. This one here. So this is on page twenty eighteen, page eighteen, where the Phantom's testing whether he can see, and they it's fuzzy and just shadows and all that, which kind of gives you a glimpse into what the Phantom's looking like. And there's another one. Further mm. down the track as well, which um, uh, you know, which is good as well. Mm. And I think I was going to say, Jim, to your point about the the coloured in eyes. Um, I actually do think that that's been done completely on purpose because from the moment the flare gun goes until the moment that uh, the the scene is clear that um, the Phantom can see again, um, his his mask is blacked in that entire time. I actually think that those two panels I pointed out on page four and five might have been um, an over-eager editor uh, who was uh, keen on that story um, that story um, element getting all the way through but just uh, perhaps colouring in two more panels than uh, than they should have done because with the exception of those two, um, it's completely accurate in the story as to whether he can see or not as to whether the eyes are blacked in. Yeah, on page 23 we're talking about for those who don't have the comic in front of them or aren't on YouTube. Mm. I, uh, uh, Duncan, I anything you want to add? No, no, that was, uh, it, it does wrap up quite quickly. But uh, but speaking of um, filling gaps in stories, I think that's where you're going to with Shane's story. Oh, mate, look at that, eh? He's a podcast of doing, um, what do you call it, uh, lead-ins already. <laughs> better, be, better watch out, Stephen. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, now, <laughs> he's still awake as well. Um, I... Now, I remember um, I wasn't expecting this story to be published so quickly because from this is a 2022, he wrote and drew this at the start of the year. Um, and I remember um, talking to Shane and he said that he had something in the works regarding this. So um, it's, it's nice to see this produced quite quickly. Um, so... Do you guys remember the Leaf Hawk story, uh, The Golden People? 
Yes, and I reread it again uh, after when I saw this uh, story coming out. Okay, so um, now I must admit I didn't really think much of the original story because it was a typical Lee Fork type of Sire Barry story, but I think I enjoy it more. Well, not not enjoy it more, but it's like I'm a lot more excited by the story. The fact that there was that obvious gap, you know, Lee Fork make maybe mentions this story that we're reading now, you know, in maybe a week or two, and then he just moves on and just never visited the people again or that or that again. And then now Shane Foley's doing a three-part story on on that. Um, yeah, I, I, I liked it. Um, the only problem that I have, and I have talked to Shane about this, is that I don't like the fact that he's making mention of the fourth son story in this uh, because I did not like that story. <laughs> that was a personal preference. I just it just it it, it just ruined the whole. It it put too many um, holes. It, it introduced too many holes into the ninth phantom and the tenth phantom than what. Um, then, 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 uh, actually, it's solved. So I don't like stories that introduce more holes than they actually try and solve. So that's one of the reasons. So for those who don't know, the fourth son uh, is the Night Phantom, who was supposed to be the short one, who married a Mongolian princess, which we see her introduced on page twenty-six. Um, yeah. Um, Dan, did you? Did you read the story? The yeah, I haven't gone back and read The Golden People. Um, we, I haven't had time to do that. And uh, I, I certainly will um, before episode two comes out because uh, reading this one reminded me of, of, of elements of The Golden People, but it's not a story that I've got um, at my fingertips, so to speak. Um, probably not surprised to hear what you say about the fourth son story, but um, I <laughs> I, I um, don't have those concerns, um, I suppose. I actually thought that it was a nice touch um, to to recall the Mongolian princess uh, as a bride. And for that, and, and this isn't a coloured story, but um, the golden person who, who appears remarks that I, maybe I can trust this guy because he's got skin similar colour to mine and, and hearkening to the Phantom, not necessarily being this white European dude, Anglo-Saxon, who I think most people think of when they, they think of Phantom. Uh, this guy's his mum is Mongolian. He's going to have um, some different features from perhaps. And and uh, you you just don't like the fourth son. You don't like the, the runt ninth Phantom. Is that right? No, for me... It is a Lee Fork story, and Lee Fork created the Phantom lineage, and he's entitled to do what he wants with his Phantoms. Oh, okay. So does that include uh, having the same woman marry three different Phantoms? <laughs> no, that's that's obviously something that uh, is an oversight, but that's very different. Uh, uh, um, a character, a minor character that he likes to go back to for three random stories, he's created his, his entire take on the ninth Phantom. Um, so I think that uh, that probably should just get kept in. I don't know why it's a problem, to be honest. Yeah, look, I have a few problems with that. This is not the time and place for it. But we are doing a podcast where we will talk about that soon because it ties in with a project uh, that we uh, that we have been working on that's in a soft launch at the moment. Um, so we will discuss that because that story 
um, plays a pivotal role in some of the stuff that I've done. So, um, yeah, so we'll leave that and we'll leave that as a bit of a teaser. Right, well, fair uh, enough too, because we're spending far too long on an element that's brought out by <laughs> one editorial box in the middle of page 29. Um, as far as the rest of the story goes, unless, Duncan, you, you want to weigh in on that or would you like us to take, in, take us in a different direction and actually talk about the story that we're reading? No, no, I've got, I've got a gag that you might have to cut out, but it's uh, it's uh, about a, um, a man's on his deathbed and he calls his wife to his deathbed and says, um, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not long for this world. I need to know the truth about something. She says, anything, my husband, I love you. I'll tell you whatever you need to know. And he said, we have four amazing sons. And he said, three of them are strong, smart, athletic, brilliant, hardworking men. The fourth one, short, dumpy, a bit slow and very lazy. I won't be angry at you, but I have to know, is he mine? And she looks at him deep in the eyes and holds his hand and says, yes, darling, he is. And with that, the man with a smile on his face leans back and closes his eyes and passes over to the other side. As she gets up to leave the bed, she lets out her breath and goes, thank God he didn't ask about the other three. <laughs> Might <laughs> have to cut there for the kids that are listening, uh, but no, I didn't have any more to add to that. The editorial box, as you say. <laughs> All right. So, um, anything the, about the story? Yeah, tell me about the story. What did you? Uh, I really like the artwork. I do enjoy Shane's artwork. He's got some. Um, he works with panels in an unusual sort of way. He works with um, the the shadows and the the light. Um, in a really clever ways as well when you're looking through windows or if you're the the colouring on that page you're on at the moment Jim or the, or the artwork at the top of page 30 where he's standing at the top of the abyss and the vapours are coming out that's um, just so well done it almost it almost looks like when um, old frues used to have printing errors uh, yeah. but it's absolutely not that sort of shadow that's come through something in the print run um, it's a really deliberate and, and clever use of the grayscale I reckon when I scanned it and I was looking through it, I thought, oh, no, I've made a mistake. <laughs> um, and there was also on the last page, I think it was. Not, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, yeah, no. Look, I, one of the things I love about Shane is I love his storytelling. I love the fact that he can tie in phantom elements. He knows the phantom. He has a real... Um, uh, love for Wilson McCoy and and I think and so he likes to tie in those elements. Everyone loves Cy Barry. Most people love Ray Moore, so they're good at tying in those things. Wilson McCoy is kind of like that, you know, he's like that weird uncle uh, at Christmas that you kind of only invite because he's family and so sometimes I feel like, you know, Wilson McCoy kind of gets left out, left in the you know, the back corner with the kids uh, because no one wants him at the dinner table with the adults. But I love the fact that, you know, Shane Foley has a real love for him and so he gives him a little bit more of attention and stuff like that as well. So, And and that panel, that, you, that page that you're on there, uh, I don't know what page you're on, but that yeah. he... 34, the, 35. Where it's got yeah. those uh, close-ups of his eyes. Uh, and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Point of view with the... the the guard over the top of him that's a great cliffhanger mm. i suspect this is probably a um a full story that they've cut into the three acts to fit across three chapters as we we're talking about before with filler stories but i'm definitely um 
the suspense is there for me to know what happens next. Um, going it's back, quite, it's quite literally a cliffhanger. Yeah, <laughs> and you're and uh, you're absolutely right about uh, Shane's amazing talent being able to blend his writing with uh, his his artwork, um, and he's really uh, laid each page out um, really well to to really tell that story. Mm. Um, the um, the original uh, the Golden People story. It uh, wasn't actually a long story either. Like it was, it was, it was quite a short story uh, itself. And the he's reading in the chronicles um, because the kids Rex and Tom want to know about the um, golden flower the treasure room, mm. uh, and there's a golden flower in there. And so he goes back and finds the story, and then Devil shows up with a golden flower, and they trace back to he he goes and finds this place that Shane's showing in this story, and. Um, the seven who created the jungle patrol 17th seventh phantom so the the seventh phantom has written about this place but only referenced it and he's got this golden flower and keeps saying i won't i promised her i wouldn't say anything and then when he shows up he finds that the woman's about to be burnt at the stake so he he jumps in and rescues her and then finds that the there's a there's a culture in the community there that um the Queen can only be the queen for three years and then she's burnt and they select a new queen. Oh, that's right. A lot like our democratic process. So um, <laughs> um, he saves her and then by law they've said that it's been handed down since the seventh phantom was there that if he ever turned up again that the queen is supposed to go and marry him because the, the seventh phantom had said, I won't stay here and marry you because I'm the phantom, but if you come with me, you can be my queen. Mm. So she said she wouldn't do it, so she died of a broken heart. And so that's the story that doesn't get told. So Shane's filling in that gap. Mm. Mm. And if you do want to go back and read that, I've just checked um, it, the most recent printing um, by Fru in Australia was issue three, 1335, uh, 1335, which was published in 2002, um, and in Sweden, published more recently than that in their Christmas album from 2021. Um, that was a reprint of the 1971 Christmas album, but um, that's the most recent place you can pick those up in, you know, I guess, uh, two of the more popular reading countries. Um, so... Quick question, and I know we've got to move on because we're probably going to be spending a lot of time with the daily and Sunday story. Should have they reprinted the original story before they went with the prequel, or are they going to do the prequel first and then do the golden... It's interesting because, uh, as um, Duncan said, it is so short. It's only 16, um, 16 weeks. Um, so what would that be in you know, eight pages it might be 10 pages in a in a first comic and so um yeah putting that into uh, balancing that into the the issue size would be the challenge yeah i just thought it could be a way of for those who haven't read the story and i, I guess at the moment you don't, you're not there's no real need for that but maybe at the end of this three part, it might be nice to have that in there, so yeah. that way you can have have them. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Um, so, um, unless there's anything, oh, just I'm going to ask to put it out to you guys as well, Duncan. You're an author. Um, is it the obvious that the the servant girl that the Phantom's talking to in the garden is, of course, going to turn out to be the queen all along? Uh, 
Oh, I wouldn't dare to suggest that Padme, I mean, Amadoa, I mean, um, <laughs> it might be a misdirect. You wait and see. It might, if it's a misdirect, it's the strongest one I've read in a long time. <laughs> I did ask Shane about that, and he goes, yeah, I didn't try and hide it very well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, look, I, I liked it. I, I really liked it. I'm looking forward to the others. I think it's given me a, a better appreciation of the original Leafle story. Um, and I, you know, I I have faith that Shane will, will make this story good. In, yeah. in the original story, the Phantom, you know, sort of resolves the story and then says, before I leave, I've got to check this place out. And he spends a couple of pages looking around at it. And just like the Phantom was curious, Shane's taking us, we're curious, I'm curious too to know what yeah. this place looks like. And Shane's taken us back there. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's interesting what you said there, Jim, about, um, and uh, I'll pick up on a similarity, I guess, from from what we were talking about with Paul Mason and the Mars Marvel earlier, is the the sequel having the opportunity to shine new light on the original story. Um, Duncan was talking about, you know, the the respect that Lee Falk had for pugilism and then um, Paul Mason being able to explore it. If this story gives you a new respect for the Golden People story as well, um, perhaps uh, perhaps some of those stories of Lee Falks and uh, that you are dismissive of at times might uh, might have a new light and uh, a refreshed enjoyment for you. Yeah, and look, you know, I'm happy to be I'm happy to be proven wrong. It doesn't happen often, but I am happy to be proven wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, we, we before we leave that, we must and uh, talk about. And, and I'm sorry, Alex, we only gave your cover short shrift earlier. Um, Paul, we talked about your cover in the in the. Um, pod we did with you, but Jeremy Mace, uh, Jeremy McPherson's cover for uh, this issue, um, front and back, obviously, um, classic Jeremy style. You sort of he doesn't uh, he does usually sign them somewhere, um, but you could tell it was Jeremy McPherson right from the style. Um, I do enjoy seeing his covers come around; they're a lot simpler um, than and, and less busy, I suppose, than some of certainly the stuff you'll see from Alex or from Grange Wallace, for instance. Um, but I really like his style. Yeah, yeah. Um, just the, just the, the minimalist in a sense, but every stroke has you know the right weight, the right depth to it. Um, he's really good at drawing animals. Uh, this would be one of the first times he hasn't drawn a horse on one of his covers. He always draws horses on his covers. Um, but yeah, no, really, really liked his artwork. Um, he had uh, original artwork that went for sale at the Lee Fort dinner, and that was very popular as well. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Speaking of covers, um, this is probably my favourite cover of uh, September, um, and that would be the Giant Size Number Twenty Two by Glenn Lumsden. Um, the real, real fun. We, I said fun. It's not a code word on this occasion, Glenn. I actually really mean that this is a fun, uh, enjoyable cover. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's just, it, it's just got a, a, a childlike innocence to it, um, and the way that he, the way that he keeps bringing these uh, through heroes together. Uh, this time at a carnival where the Phantom is. Uh, clearly dominating the shooting game and, and winning uh, Teddy after Teddy for his adoring. Uh, well, they're not his kids, but they're kids who adore him because he's getting lots of teddies. So um, thoughts on on the cover, Jim? I know this was uh, a favourite of yours as well. Yeah, look, I loved it. Um, Glenn Lumsden used to do um, uh, posters for Haddo's Hot Dogs, which was a local hot dog 
uh, food van down in Tasmania. And so I, when I saw this, I no joke, I spent five minutes looking for the Haddo's hot dogs sign. <laughs> and then I messaged him and said, where's Haddo's hot dogs? And this was a perfect opportunity to fit it in there. You're at a carnival. You always eat your, you know, your corn dogs and stuff like that. And I just don't think he even... I don't think he even thought about it, but um, I would have liked to see it. And <laughs> and dare I say it, that picture there almost yes. looks like Renee, who's <laughs> sad because he's lost out on money. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know that I'd go that far, but gee, it, that that little inset of the carny um, upset and uh, resigned it, that just completely makes the rest of it. It's uh, it's that it does last little thing you spot and you just go, that's perfect. It does. It does. Uh, look, I love. I really enjoy uh, Glenn's work for giant sizes. Um, yeah, just yeah. I, re- I really like it. Duncan, have you got the original of this yet? Uh, must have some space on the wall there behind you. Uh, the uh, Phantom at the Echo uh, cover has not made it its way to my wall. <laughs> but I do love it. It's fantastic. Uh, very good retro goodness as it says and it and it really feels mm. it um look we we could always as we say this we say this with every joint size there's uh, lots of cool stories to read and hope that people enjoy but we are a phantom podcast so we focus on the phantom story uh that is that is in it um this time we've got the golden sands of Keela Wee, which is a leaf hawkside barry store uh, story that is that is quite popular with a lot of people um and um is one of those ones that i think uh are the kind of story that um made Cy Barry such an icon i reckon um but we do see it in fresh colors this time ivan peterson has uh has uh, contributed his colors and he's turning out to be quite a prolific colorist for fruit um it would have to be i think it'd be impossible to argue that he's not the most prolific colorist that fruit's ever used um and it's printed in landscape which is uh a bit different from previous giant sizes now before so landscape so i'll just show this up again if you're on youtube i'll try and explain it for the audio only listeners um youtube oh not youtube landscape makes sense because you've got the intro panel here then you've got the top tier and then you've got the second and third one it's if you the were same to, shape that they were yeah made, made for if you were to bring that on this you would have to higgly wiggly you would some panels would have to be stretched and and that's what's happened for what 900 through issues is that they butchered the panels to make it fit a portrait style you know look i think for a giant size it works well because when you you know there's uh, there's been other giant size stories not one in this one but there's been other giant size stories where they've printed landscape um now from a Maybe, maybe this again. This is the old age of me showing. I'm almost forty, so I'm now classified as an old man. Um, I prefer my Sundays printed like this because it's how they were originally designed. Yeah, the top tier sometimes can be left off because you know it's some artists use it as like a recap. I think it just it reads like a Sunday. It, it doesn't. It might not read like a graphic novel or or something like that. But I think it reads better. What are your guys' thoughts? Do you use like? Can you handle the the landscape, the the reading, the recaps, and seeing the the panels like that, or you just don't like it, or you prefer it? 
I can handle it because look at that. Look at the top panel on that page. Mm. Like you can't if you squeezed that into a, a portrait style, you'd be very disappointed. Like yeah, that's a beautiful Cyberry panel, mm. uh, and and in color. Like, I love this story, and mm. in color, I really love it. Like I yeah. really enjoyed it again, reading it in color. Mm. Absolutely. I do. I probably prefer it if they keep consistent within a book. Um, so, so, you know, it's just, it's a very minor thing. I'm turning it from reading it landscape and suddenly I'm reading it portrait. It's a super minor thing. I'd probably prefer all of the stories in the, um, in the single issue to be printed one way or the other. But 100% agree that the Sundays need to be printed in, in their entirety, um, whether it's Cy Barry or Jeff Weigel or, uh, whoever else it might be doing the Sundays, the top tier, even if it is a a, um, a reminder of where we left off last week, um, as Duncan just showed, that's where you get some classic panels come out because it summarises everything. So it's actually a better capture, a better single image capture of the entire story. So, um, which I do love about this uh, about that. So, um, yeah, I, I thought. Um, I loved Ivan's colouring of the um, the people rolling around on the beach and how much more yellow they became when they stood up again from the beach and that sort of thing. Um, really brought to life some some classic images as well. Um, the the scene with Junkar getting saved by the by the tiger. Um, just some absolute iconic images from Cy Barry's work as the Phantom uh, on the Phantom. So um, loved seeing them brought back to back to colour or, or into colour for the first time for so many of us. Mm, yep. <coughs> Good points. All right. Um, anything else on the, uh, the golden sands? Well, happy to move on. Cool, cool, cool. All right. So moving on, uh, we're going to go around the world with our reviews now. Um, Jim, um, I've been a little bit out of loop as we come towards the end of the term. Have we got Ankit uh, giving us some Indian reviews today? No. Um, uh, so Ankit has experienced some technical difficulties, but he's also been busy, quite busy with uh, some special stuff with uh, Regal. So, but in saying that, we should have the roof. I think we're about two issues behind on Shaki and three or four issues with Regal. So we should get those in the next in the next week or two. So, um, apologies, we haven't forgotten all our Indian fans. We get we get asked about this probably you know a couple of times a week, asking when the next review is going to come up. Um, uh, you know, they will be up soon. So. Uh, oh. And, and feel free to edit this out, Jim, if you feel, but it may be worth putting it out there to any other Indian fans who'd love to hear a review or perhaps contribute a review. Um, if Ankit's busy creating some pretty awesome stuff for you to read um, or, or to art to enjoy, it might be worth uh, someone else saying, you know what, I'll, I'll help out. Um, yeah, 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 of course. So if there's anyone out there um, who wants to help out or, you know, help out when, when um, Ankit can't or, you know, if seeing is pretty busy and stuff like that, wants to um, take over, we can discuss that, you know. And how can people get in touch with us, Dan? <laughs> well, you can hit up any of the socials, Germ. We are at Chronicle underscore tweet on Twitter. Uh, you search for Chronicle Chamber on Facebook uh, and obviously chroniclechamber at gmail.com for an email is uh, probably the, the single best way to get in touch. Anyway, uh, looking forward to hearing from some people in India, perhaps. Uh, meanwhile, we will shoot over to Sweden because Mikkel has been able to uh, pick up the last couple of Fantelman stories for us, and we're going to hear his reviews of issues 16 and 17 from this year. 
but perhaps a little bit more exciting, um, and I haven't seen this yet, Germ. I think you, you've been talking to Mikel about this, but uh, his review on of the Jean-Yves Milton book. Uh, very excited for that one. Oh, no, so the Jean-Yves Milton book was done by On. That's that's that big hardcover right. Milton book. Have you Did you get one of those, Duncan? Now, how cool is that book? Is it, the box is really good. <laughs> yeah. this, this book i 100 percent agree with you one of the best fan and publications i've ever seen this yep. book is breathtaking yeah the, the quality of the cover the seeing this art in on this good quality paper in this size and the bonus content and stuff at the back this is a fantastic book that i can't put on the shelf because i keep taking it down and looking at it yeah yeah, yeah. what have you done with the box Sitting, sitting right there. I can't, I can't throw it away. No way, no way. The box itself is a collectibles piece. Um, look, yeah. So on reviews the book. Uh, Mikel is going to review the Phantom Men stories, but he's also I'm not sure if it'll be in time for this podcast. But he's reading the trade paperback for the Heart of Darkness, which is all collected together. It's about this thick. They only printed a thousand of those. Um, that. I've been told may rival the Mitten book in, in quality and, and, and stuff like that. That's some of the noise that I'm hearing out there is that it might not be as good, but it will, you know, be talked about in the same sentence of the Mitten book, the Heart of Darkness book, and then the Herms full-size Sunday book. Uh, a lot of people who have got all three said that they're the standout three phantom publications ever. So, um, and then Mikel will also review the soft cover album, which has come out as well. He's got a hand of that, but he's going to read the trade of uh, the Heart of Darkness one first. Um, so, yeah. So, thanks, Mikel. Over to you, buddy. Time for another Phantom review with me. And this time it's a double feature. Long time since that happened, but uh, yeah, kids being home at summer, I blame it all on them. So we have two nice issues, it's issue number 16 and issue number 17 of 2022. Start off with issue 16 with this. I think it's the first cover ever made by Janus Orden. I'm so bad at pronouncing names. Uh, yeah, he usually used this style that it almost looks like a painting and uh, I really enjoy that style. And. Uh, in this issue we finally got the result of the best cover and uh, poster with that. Uh, you can read more about that on the revamped uh, Chronicle Chamber webpage. I wrote an article about that uh, when this issue first came out. About the stories, the main stories is called basically the, the Valley of the Thousand Graves. And it's written by Jakob Hubbinch. Habink, Habinch, and has art done by Alex Savio. It seems inspired by all of these old environmental stories, but a bit more modern. It's a lake with a power plant construction and a close by tribe. And uh, yeah, they don't get along that well. And then there is this black and white classics. Uh, What's it called? A reprint story made by Eralp, uh, who just made new art from an old Falk story. 
and uh, Drama in the Desert. It's about Diana and Byron getting caught by slave traders. Byron flees and informs the Phantom while Diana outsmarts the slavers and Phantom follows the tracks and they run past each other all the time. Just, just like it happened a lot in the early Phantom stories. There's a bit about the other contenders in the best cover of 2021. Then we have issue 17 with a bright nice cover made by Luca Arbata. Uh, it has the Phantom and these outlaws from the main story, the outlaws, written by Peter Anderson and art by Rafael Dantas. It is a fruit story that looks amazing with some colors. And a lot of things happens in this story. The, he meets up with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And uh, yeah, it's quite a funny story. And the, those outlaws are quite funny in themselves. I enjoyed this one. And after that, we have another reprint in black and white. It is Lee Falk and Errol Pagent. And this one is called The Bur Buried Witness from 1972. And it's a remake of Diane and the Bank Robbers. Uh, this close re after reading the Robert Armand's book, book, I can see some of the points he is making. Diane is more or less lucky in her endeavors while the Phantom comes in and saves the day. So. Next issue will be a double issue. It will be in the end of August with 100 pages. It's the stories Towns Ellerby and Hello the Himalayas from uh, Tony DePaul and Mike Manley. It will also have the very classic Death from the Sky and a new album of Red Pirate. See you then. Happy phantoming. And we're back, and uh, I must say a huge sorry to Olm. I absolutely knew you were going to be doing that uh, that review of the Mitten book, but uh, just somehow lost control of that as I was doing the introduction, got carried away with uh, with Europe, I suppose, and, and penciling Sweden and France in together somehow. 
Um, <laughs> don't know how I manage that. Anyway, um, thank you so much again to everyone who contributes uh, from all over the world um, and uh, helps make uh, Chronicle Chamber, the Expand podcast, um, truly international, which is what we we hope, which certainly what we aspire to be, um, because the fandom is an international uh, hero for for so many people, as we know. And the way that he has managed to do that, the way that he continues to do that, is through um, the the Sunday and the daily strips that are being. Well, I can't say published in the papers anymore. We'll get to that soon, but they are certainly still available uh, from King Features and, and on comicskingdom.com. Um, let's talk about the Sunday first. Now, Jim, I know this is a particular passion for you and people will have uh, perhaps seen the YouTube video that you've put up by now about the uh, the Temple of the Gods, not saga, I'm, I'm not going to say, but the, the, the genre, I suppose, or, or this story arc return of the Temple of the Gods is the latest in a number of um, Temple of the Gods stories. Um, and and if people haven't checked out that uh, video of yours yet, um, they absolutely should. And anything you want to summarise in, in 60 seconds or less? Um, no, I just watched a video which is 10 minutes, so that might be bad. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I go through the two dailies and I go through the four Team Phantom in stories. Um, there's a lot of people that might have read the dailies, might have read the Sundays or one or the other, but they might have not read the Team Phantom in ones. Or if you like us, that was 15 years ago, and you probably haven't had a chance to go back and read them. So hopefully a 10-minute video will help you go, oh, yes, I remember that now. Oh, yes, that's. And then, have you seen it yet, Duncan? Your video? Yes, I have. Okay. I asked him, and he goes, video? What video? <laughs> <laughs> Well, if, uh, if that's you, if you're saying what video, check the uh, the show notes in the link below. Um, I'm sure there will be a link to the, the video there. So, um, But let's focus on the last, I guess, what, four or five weeks of the Return of the Temple of the Gods story. Um, I guess what I want to ask you, both you guys, Duncan, I'll start with you. In the last four or five weeks, what's happened? Anything? They're in the temple, and uh, it's the Temple of the Gods, Dan. So it's, um, I think what uh, the spending a lot of time in this room. It's a bit like the visitor. Like, uh, every time, every time the phantom gets caught underground, he um, he seems he seems to go for a long walk. Like in the, the, the rat must die would attribute yeah, to that as yeah, well. Yeah. This is some brilliant marketing by Tony and Jeff Weigel, right? So they're trying to say how do we broaden the phantom audience, and you know what are people like now? People like renovation shows. So, <laughs> So essentially, Paul Ryan did this, his interpretation of what the Temple of Gods looked like. And for the last few weeks, we're seeing Jeff Weigel's room, room reveal of what he thinks the Temple of Gods looks like. <laughs> no, I think what's been happening is uh, both of both uh, Tony in his script and Jeff in his beautiful art and the way that it's been coloured, we're really getting a... Um, an evolution of the relationship between Diana and the Phantom. And so I think this is a, this is much a story about those two as it is about whatever those dark eyes are in the corner of this temple. And um, knowing, being a fan of Tony's work, um, I think this there's going to be a payoff when it gets to the end, and that's why we're we're building up this, uh, the relationship between the two of them and the, the the play that they're having between the two of them, all the way from when they're on the way there and he tried to ditch her to her turning up, her, Diana turning up. Um, I think that, that that's going to pay off uh, as the story moves on. Mm. Mm. I think what's also nice is that in the daily story, the Phantom and Diana are not together in the what-if story, which we'll discuss. So it's nice to have 
a mirror image of where they are a team. And it kind of reassures fan and fans of like, hey, Tony DePaul does not sit up all hours of the night trying to think, now, how can I destroy this comic? You know, he's not doing that. And so, you know, it's like, you know, here's a nice story where they're working together, where, you know, the Phantom is reminded that Diana is is going to be a key element, a key asset in this story. She's probably going to save his life. Um, you know, spoiler alert. Um, but so it's a nice mirror image of, of what's happened in the daily story. Yeah, that's a, it's a really good point, Jim. And, um, I'm glad you made it because there, yeah. And we'll talk about the daily. Um, but it is, it is that nice, um, dichotomy that, that we can, um, have our hearts, uh, assuaged by the, by the fact that they do still talk to each other and they are working together. And, and, uh, the, it's a great point you make it, Duncan, about the development of the character of Diana. And I guess we were, we were showing that from the very first, um, week of the story when, um, she wanted to, um, see what was on the video, um, that, that the Phantom was looking at and he would try to protect her from that. And we, I guess we're seeing a continuation of that, um, up to, up to now. And, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds going forward. I think one of the reasons why we are underground for a while is not because, you know, the Phantom can't see the sun, so he's lost all, um, you know, his mind and he's just spending lots of time under underground. It's recapping fans of what's happened, like, beforehand. So he talks about the third Phantom. He talks about, I've been through here before. And, and so you've, you know, then they talk, uh, we've talked about it last issue, but he talks about the uh, submarine. So, seeing it has been fifteen years between the the panel, the stories, I feel like Tony Paul and Jeff Weigel are spending probably a month or two, kind of getting everyone up to speed of what's happened. Because let's face it, not unfortunately, not everyone knows about Chronicle Chamber, so they haven't <laughs> seen our video, and um, you know. Tony DePaul didn't, you know, he didn't put in here, you know, for those who want to know more about this, go to Chronicle Chamber and watch the video. He, he didn't know we were going to do that video. If he did, he might have been able to cut it down a little bit and just have our little bitly link in the bottom corner. But um, look, it it gives the ability for, for people to be able to be caught up with what's happening and, and to learn a bit about the build-up, which has been 15 years in the past. Hmm. All right. Look, um, I think we leave the Sunday there because I'm really keen to get to the daily. Um, the the Phantom's End is the story that we're on, and um, I guess in the we, we're recording this on a Monday. What we've just seen, I guess, in the week ending last Saturday, is literally the end of the Phantom in t- as, as so far as the story that Moz has been telling. We've seen um, in the last month, we've seen the Phantom get killed. Um, and we're going to explore the, the way that happens a little bit and what we see on that journey. We see the Phantom buried. Uh, we see his rings and his belt passed on to Kit Jr. But we also see before the end of Moz's story that Kit Jr. suffers a similar fate within a year of uh, of the end of his father. So um, this really is, as far as Moz's story is concerned, not just the end of the 21st Phantom, but the end of the Phantom line entirely. Well, no, of that part because you got to remember he did have twins with savannah so there's the phantom line can still continue but it's the end of that branch yeah, fair point and heloise is still there but the i guess uh the rings and the belt are pretty key but no you, you make a good point yeah like i said i usually do no. <laughs> um look 
to be honest, this is a lot of fans. This is this is really divided fans, and I've seen it on social media. I've seen it on the Comic Kingdom website. There's a you know, there's fans either are really enjoying where Tony DePaul is maybe taking this, and that he's challenging. Uh, long-standing laws of the Phantom, and then there's other fans that are like, "Oh, the Phantom's eyes," which we're seeing now on the fifteenth of August. You know, you've totally ruined the Phantom for me. You know, how dare you do this to me? The Phantom's dead. How dare you do this to me? This, you know, th- there's a, a huge divide between fan and fans, and there's not many people, not many fans in the middle. Um, so like, where are you guys? Are you guys on the, ah, you've ruined my phantom or are you on the side of, I'm interested to see where Tony's taking this? Uh, Dan? (laughs) Um, no, I'm interested to see where Tony's taking this. It's, um, it's not comfortable reading. There's no doubt about that. It's, um, decidedly unpleasant reading at times. Um, it's very easy when you are in Moz's story for, you know, six panels in a row for a week or six trips in a row for a week or, or two weeks. So there's been plenty of time where we've been in Moz's story for long enough to start to forget that it's Moz's story again. And uh, it's it's challenging reading, but um, I'm certainly enjoying it. Um, yeah, we say this all, I say this all the time when it comes to the dailies. I'm really looking forward to reading it as a collect as a collection of strips in a, in a fruit comic. Um, but uh, it's it's a stark reality for men, and and I use the term um, advisedly, but men who have taken on the the cowl and, and put on the rings of the phantom, and it, that's been their reality when they go to work every day. That that's exactly how it could end up, and and somehow we've been lucky enough across twenty twenty one generations that the phantoms made it home every time um, to have uh, his son for the most part take over his role, but. Uh, it could happen. It could easily happen um, in this line of work that you don't make at home. Well, um, it, it does happen. It's happened 20 times before. Three times before? No, 20 times before. No, I mean, but not even yeah. to make it home to the Skull Cave, um, not yeah. even to have your corpse buried in the crypt. So, yeah. yeah. Um, well, and, that, that was a curse because of... That was a curse that the 20th Phantom's ghost who turned into the flaming skeleton predicted back or said was going to happen back in 2020 uh there's no yeah, like it, it's all part of a, a story arc that tony's been working on for a long time um mm. yeah what about you duncan got some thoughts dad i'll, I'll go back it, it is um it is confronting as uh, dan said and it would be to a casual reader as well so people that are just reading this phantom strip in the newspaper and go away on holidays and don't get the free newspaper from work or whatever and then they miss a bit of the story and then they come back or they they're only occasional readers or they remember it from their childhood they're not avidly keeping up with the story will be confronted by it because they'll go well that's not what i remember that's not what i'm used to mm. why is, um why does Garfield like Odie now? Um, so, and I think the thing to remember is Tony's been doing this for a long time. Yes. And I've been doing this for a long time. And they are not going to take make moves like this lightly. No. So, um, so uh, 
storytellers, storytellers as talented as both of them are are not going to make these decisions for no reason. Mm. And they're going, to, they're going to do it because they want to pay off later. Mm. Um, and it's the loyal reader that's going to be rewarded with that or want to lynch them. So, <laughs> um, and it, it, this happens all the time with you, the stories that are beloved, like when um, Dan Slott was getting death threats for um, putting it was a Doc Ox brain inside Peter Parker and becoming Spider-Man. Um, people were outraged and people are always, fans are always outraged. It just goes to the cycle. So this is our turn. <laughs> um, but and so I'm just interested to see where they go with it because it is, um, every time you say, oh, it's a dream, oh, it's, uh, it's Bengali sleeping powder, oh, it's this, he finds a way to say, no, it's not. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's just he's going to wake up. No. <laughs> maybe yes. this is going to happen. That belt's going to get handed over. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I'm I'm with you in that I have complete faith that uh, Tony and Mike are taking us um, in a place that um, Tony in particular very much wants to take us and, and he will have a payoff in the end. Uh, we know that um, from some of the things we've seen, even if you scroll back a couple of um, uh, panels there, germ to, to where um, the Phantom's getting buried, um that's it's exactly that can of rocks that we saw um this one here that we saw uh what two years ago or 18 months ago in in the foretelling um yeah. that from that probably that exact scene you were talking about germ with the with the skeleton um we know that within this story the 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 nasty sheriff has been killed and found because of a comment that he made and an aside he made about um spending time on the beach in retirement or something along those lines, um, mm. which Mike, uh, which Tony first dropped five years previously. So mm. he absolutely knows what he's doing. And uh, and maybe his head is five years into the future of what we're looking at now, and uh, it probably is knowing him. Yeah. Um, and, and I agree. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the payoff. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be a mighty one, I suspect. Yeah. So with those two things that we just talked about, there are articles on our website, Um there will be links in our show notes and on, on the, whether it's the YouTube or on the, if you're looking at it on our website where you can actually go have a look at that. This, this scene here, uh, on the 15th of September where the, where Kit is at the burial site with the rocks and he's holding the rock. It, it's now I'm not sure if this is just coincidence or I'm reading way too much into it, which I probably am, but it's, it's it's like the scene you would expect him to do if this story didn't happen when he is swearing on the skull mm. to take over the phantom's role. Where but instead it's a rock which is bearing it and then he, he picks it up and he says, You should be with our ancestors, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I can't do anything about that and then puts it back down. Um, and like I said, I'm probably reading way too much in there. But, I don't um, think you are, mate. I think those first two pan panels in that in particular, you know, you substitute out a rock, uh, you substitute that rock out for a skull and he's swearing the oath. So I don't think you're reading too much into that at all. Um, and then, yeah, and then I guess like you get, like this is just a ghastly um, um, scene, you know, where, <laughs> the, where Kit's body's not even buried. Um, it's, it's uh, apparently I was talking to someone who saw, I haven't seen it personally, but saw the black and white version of this or oh, that Mike Manley did. And he said, it looks 
way better in black and white and it looks so ghastly and so confronting of this panel which is the 17th of uh september in black and white Mm. oh i can imagine it would be i i I enjoy the creative license that and maybe it's true i don't know that uh hair deteriorates uh decomposes much longer after after skin has faded away um but yeah that that image of a bearded skeleton with a uh a hole in the skull just left to rot um yeah it's uh fairly macabre yeah cool um so anything you just want to add or is just all right just just to touch on the eyes um obviously as as the phantom is having his last moments and has been mortally wounded then stands up to take the final shot um we do see uh his eyes and his face and uh i guess um that that was something that you commented on there before joe made specific mention of that people were really um frustrated with or or um did not enjoy at all um what was your what was your take on that duncan when you first saw it uh I immediately went to my, how could I, what interpretation of this is that it's not the Phantom's eyes? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Is it past tense because he's dead and he's passed over? Is it a dream? Is it an imposter? Is it someone else with his mask on? Um, Has someone got, uh, who did, who was the artist that did it in uh, the Samara story? Bill again. Has someone got Lignanti, uh, found Lignanti's old sketches and uh, traced over it? Um, (laughs) Uh, um, and that's when I went. There's got. There's got to be a reason why they're doing this. And so you know, I'm just patiently waiting, like a like a loyal fan, to see what uh, what that reason is. So we t- we had we had a bit of a chat with Tony DePaul about this scene. We've posted some of the comments on an article on our website. For me, I read too much into this. I saw it as when you see the Phantom's eyes, it's when he's dead. Um, and so, you know, like this was him dead. So, you know, he's now seeing the ghost and, and, and it's sort of true. And then like, I was reading even more into it, say like on the 17th of August, where he's got his eyes closed. It's like, now he's, now he's, now he's half alive fighting for his life. And, um, you know, and then it's, you know, symbol, well, we talked about it symbolized in the previous stories of when he's blind his eyes are black i was kind of picturing it from that is that okay, it's it's the life ebbing you know it's the battle of his life whether he's dying or whether he's he's battling to stay alive and all that that's where i kind of pictured it is um but yeah i read a bit too much into that tony DePaul. tony uh told me that basically yeah, i was reading too much into it um <laughs> so um, but yeah, he he gave us some thoughts, which I put on an article um, on the on the on the website as well, which I think is worth. Um, and, and to be fair, uh, he's not Mike Manley is not the first person to uh, draw the Phantom's eyes in a in a daily or Sunday story as well. It, so if the if the old jungle saying is the that he who looks on the Phantom's unmasked face will die a horrible death, does that mean that the Murdoch syndicated comic pages were looking reading that strip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. So you're saying that the reason why uh, News Corp has stopped publishing the Phantom is actually Tony's fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I suppose, and and to your point there, Duncan, and and 
to take this seriously and put it back into the story um, because that's real. Um, there is actually, unless it's uh, Manju through the scope, there's not actually anyone around to see his unmasked face and die a horrible death. So um, it's not like the um, the old jungle saying hasn't come true. It's just that there was no one there to see it. Did the tree fall in the forest? No. <laughs> I don't think there's a forest in the story, though. Um, no, but if there's no one there to see the Phantom's <laughs> eyes, did, 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 did his re face rip mask really come off? <laughs> yes. But um, I think it's a good segue talking about uh, the demise of certain newspapers. So we'll move into that one. Absolutely. So that is the big news over the last month or so. And uh, we've seen in Australia, um, and, and Stephen's written an excellent article, again, on the chroniclechamber.com website um, about uh, the cancellation of um, the King Features strips and all, in fact, all comics um, in their newspapers. The, the fandom is just collateral damage, really, um, in a bigger decision that has been made by News Corp in Australia. So that's, um, what, four, five major newspapers, uh, major city newspapers around Australia that no longer have um, those those being printed. And unfortunately for, I guess, dollars at the end of the day, it also means they're no longer on their website, um, which you wouldn't have thought uh, would have I think Corp. some of them have it on their website still. Oh, well, that's not what I took from Steve's article. I thought that um, they're no longer appearing on the... Um, if you're a subscriber to the Courier-Mail or the or the Herald Sun, you can no longer read the Phantom, certainly, um, as part of your okay. subscription. Yeah, I I thought I heard... I don't know. We'll have to... We'll verify that some way or the other. But I thought I heard Stephen say that there was one of them. But, yeah, I could be wrong. Okay. And, uh, and I gather there's a, uh, is it Lee Enterprises in, no connection to Lee Fork, but Lee Enterprises in America has also decided to, to cancel their strips. Yes, and that's 77 newspapers in America that's been cancelled, which came probably three or four days afterwards. So the cynic in me, all right, now the cynic in me makes me think that the annual licence expired recently. And that's the reason why you have two large media companies deciding at the same time to cancel. Yeah. And maybe the next contract was going to cost, cost them a little bit more, perhaps, and that mm. was enough. Yeah, that, that's just the cynic in me. Um, I'm sure I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but it's, I don't know, is it a coincidence that two major newspapers in two different continents made a decision the same decision or well, maybe Duncan said it was because we all saw his face and <laughs> that's the end of that yeah or maybe um murdoch owns lee enterprises as well well that would not surprise yeah <laughs> but um it's definitely yeah. a financial decision but um what i learned out of this and uh, and i didn't realize and so now i'm going to make conscious effort to go and do it is i read the strips through the facebook pages of jeff weigel and mike manley because they're easier to read than some of the other digital ways you can do it uh, and i don't always i'm not always near a paper so um uh but apparently there's a click through that goes to the creators uh, for going through the Comics Kingdom website. So um, if, if you're listening and you want to support those, continue to support those creators, if you're reading it on their Facebook page, also take the time to go and click through to... Uh, to well, there you go. I, I did make the case a while ago 
the, because there was, and it wasn't either of the two creators, but there's a few a few people who uh, screenshot the 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 strip and then post it into one of the many Phantom Facebook groups, and and you can um, read it that way too. And I did make the point a while ago that maybe we shouldn't be doing that and actually go to Comics Kingdom just for the web traffic. But I didn't realise that actually. So you're saying that the artists actually receive half a cent or whatever it might be every time you click on um, and and read theirs through the Comics Kingdom website. I didn't know, but Mike Manley mentioned it on his Facebook feed. Right. I did follow up this with Mike. He he did say, because I didn't know that either, Duncan. I think we were in the same chat on the Facebook. And we were like, oh, I didn't know that. And then you said it, I said it, and a few others said it as well. Um, Mike said he was going to get some clarification on that. He said he was going to... Let me know if he found out before the podcast, but obviously that hasn't happened. Um, but even, so, yeah. if it's, even if it's not monetary, it's one of the only places now that you can and demonstrate the traffic or the, the what's it called, analytics yeah. of the interest in the site. So it is, I don't think they're getting that information from every time you, you like um, Jeff or Mike's post. It's, yeah. The only way getting features is finding out is by looking at the analytics from that website. And yeah. if making financial decisions like that and cancelling Batgirl exactly. and all that going on, anything we can do to support the creators who are keeping the stories alive, I think yeah. it behoves us to do it. Yeah, exactly. 100%. 100%. Yeah. All right. Um, so other than um, all of us spreading that word, any other thoughts on how we can get people going to Comics Kingdom? They're like, do we have to um, clamp down on these pirates who are who are screenshotting and putting into Facebook groups and, and say, look, stop doing that because it doesn't... <laughs> um, I've got a bit of education. Like if they knew that, hey, you know, post the link or, or, or something like that, some people just won't care. But if, if they were, you know, I'm sounding really... Um, old in this podcast, but if we just educate the people. <laughs> Twenty-one generations devoted their life to fight piracy, <laughs> all forms. Yeah, but I think it's, uh, like, I think it's, yeah. Look, I, I, I don't think people will realise that. I don't think it will stop people pirating, but I think it might. I think some people might go, oh, okay, well, we'll go onto the website. And then I think with the – some people will make mention of the quality of some of the comments on the Comments Kingdom website on the on the comment section. And look, let's be honest. I've, you know, um, I wrote on there once talking about fans and I used the PH and, you know, had this guy try and start a flame war with me. Oh, you sound like an eight-year-old kid. Uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, there is that low-level scum on that website but there is there's actually some good conversations uh on there as well and it's like anything it's like facebook's like that twitter's like that instagram's like that so look yeah get on there have a go post some comments um because yeah like like what duncan said it's one of the only ways that king features will actually see that there's still fans out there that fans with a ph of course hello malibu ed um, <laughs> uh, Revenge is a dish best served cold. Revenge is a dish best served at the ninety-minute mark of a comics and news <laughs> podcast. Um, but no, in all seriousness, you you got to go on there and um and click through and and stuff like that as well. Yeah, yeah. 
Or I think they've also there. got a special for a 70-day or a 30-day or, or something like that premium uh, free account as well, which means you can actually access old strips all the way back to the 60s or the 70s as well. Yeah, and right. we've, actually <laughs> just, we've actually just helped the archivist at King Features find a long-lost strip that they couldn't find as well. So, um, yeah. Well done. It, that, see, that's the sort of thing they should be doing because you do see oh, yeah. the ad on Facebook that they're running about, um, oh, are you upset? Let us know sort of thing. Instead of that, because that's futile, we're not going back. Rupert Murdoch is not going to change his mind, and new, it's not coming back into the papers. Um, but what they um, what they should be doing is take. Sorry, Duncan. He's known for being understanding and compassionate, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> and on behalf of Australia to the rest of the world, we're sorry. Um, <laughs> look, um, what they need to be doing is posting ads for exactly that sort of um, that sort of deal. Oh, are you missing your your comics in your newspapers? Here, sign up and and you get the first month free, or you know, uh, half price deals, and and talk about because I haven't seen that advertised anywhere. Yeah. Um, and that's certainly something that they that they really should be doing right now while the iron's hot. Yeah, that might be. Um, so Chronicle Chambers got an account uh, with that, so we might actually do a bit of a tour and do a bit of a video. Um, so we'll add that to the list of things, and we might do a for those who have come in late for the Golden People story, like we did with the Temple of the Gods as well. So we'll have those videos up in the next week or two as well. I swear we have these podcasts just so you can think of uh, ideas for future videos, Jim. <laughs> it's it's also yeah, always yeah. a gold mine. <laughs> yeah, right. we'll, we'll keep moving on. Um, look, we have already talked about the Mass Marvel poster, so um, I do want to catch up with you, though, Jim, because I think this is the first time we've actually spoken since um, you released the... the. Oh, no, we, we talked to Paul Mason, but we didn't get the opportunity to really explore the, the Phantom going digital, that podcast you did back in uh, episode number 227. Um, with oh, David yes. Barry and John, I want to say. I forget his name, but um, the guy who is keen on the NFTs of the Phantom and, and that whole digital world that he's keen to explore and, I guess, invest in. Um, can you, It's been, what, it's probably been a couple of months now since you recorded that. Um, before we get your reflections on your takeaway as someone who was there, Duncan, have you had the chance to listen to that uh, interview that Jerm did? Uh, I have, and I've uh, spoken to the team behind the NFT as well. Um, it is a fascinating um, project that they're embarking on, and I think it's. Um, in, I think that uh, is uh, a bit of a visionary, and uh, the 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 concept that he wants to explore, and I think that's why in, during the interview, Jermaine keeps coming back and going, "Yeah, just." Dumb it down for me a little bit. Just yes. explain to me exactly what you want to do. And he's so passionate about it. He's sort of going off on some exploring all of the different ways that that uh, that that blockchain technology can be um, more effectively used in the collector in the collectible space or the collector's space. And he keeps saying that Phantom's just the start. Just like he was the first Mark superhero, he's going to be the the start of this this vision that he's got. Um, and it's brilliant because uh, it's great for us as fans because a rising tide lifts all boats. And so he's trying to say, 
No one knows about your character. There's a bunch of people in Scandinavia, people in India, and a bunch of a bunch of old Australians that are sitting around <laughs> in the newspaper shop buying their comic books. And he said it doesn't have the 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 in the uh, the reach into the zeitgeist that yeah. it needs to to be as popular as like he's making that comparison. He goes, "I've got this nine highest graded, you know, Ace Comics, one of the early appearances of the Phantom." And it's not getting anywhere near the kind of reach that a Guardians of the Galaxy number one that no one gave a crap about 15 years ago um, all of a sudden is now fetching, you know, in tens of thousands of US dollars. And he's going, does not compute. It's because there's no groundswell of support behind this Ace Comics, behind this character. And uh, and he's, so he's trying to say, this is a way that we can do that. And and by, by uniting all of the collectors, to be part of that story, um, you, you're making your own future and you're all invested in it because you've all got, you all want to see the character continue on. So it needs that support behind it because as the fans die out, the character will die out. Mm. And uh, he's saying he doesn't want that. And he's, you know, he moves all these other comics on backwards and forwards because they're just things mm. and then the collectibles that he moves on. But the story behind that book means something to him because the character means something to him, and uh, and he's and he's investing all this time in talking to David and Sai to making sure to make sure that one of the most important people that's still alive that's to do with why this character is as popular as it is now, he wants to to tie that all together and move that move that legend forward not just tie it into the legend of Cyberi and the legend of the Phantom and push those things together and say, this is this is an important part of history that we need to preserve. And he kept using the term museum mm. uh, and preserve and curate, mm. talking about a long-term vision for capturing something that if someone doesn't do something, will disappear. Mm. What about you, Dan? Sum it down for me because <laughs> because I, I was like you when listening to Germ. Uh, I was ex- wanting to ask exactly the same questions, and, and not so much dumb it down for me. But okay, so practically though, what's actually happening? And and that's where I get caught on this. I think you're, you're absolutely right about the vision, and I love the concept, but I just don't understand how to get to that. Um, I just don't, and whether that's uh, a blocker in mine uh, that I've got because I just don't understand the technology and I don't appreciate it. But the whole, the whole crypto space and and everything that comes with it is really um, difficult to gather for for myself anyway. I think this, I think the steps to get on board with this project because it's still they're still waiting on approvals and everything. Uh, And like you said, the next thing that he's tranched two, three, four, twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight. A lot of them aren't properties that are bound by the IP, their um, public domain. And mm. so it sounds like he wants his, those things could probably be ready faster, but he, it's important to him to make it mm. the to his first. Um, and I think for fans that are struggling to um, get on board, I think it's a, it's an education for ourselves. It's a first look at what is blockchain technology? What is that crypto world? What is an NFT now? And, and what he's talking about and with Collect is what's next? What is the evolution of having an NFT where there's a digital thing that you have and there's no physical copy you might hold? 
It's just a bunch of ones and zeros that everyone has agreed it's worth something. Mm. That's all it is. It's an agreement that it's worth something um, that you can, that as long as the interest increases, the value increases, you can give it to someone else. And cryptocurrency is the same thing where you turn around and say, it's a bunch of ones and zeros and it's a bunch of computers solving a problem and the computer gets rewarded for solving the maths equation. And that's how the, the Bitcoin um maintains its security and that's how it grows in value and then people sell it or exchange the there's the finite number of bitcoins which is why you start to sell 0.2105 of a bitcoin they made a finite amount in the first place and there's no more bitcoin you can't make any more and so they can break up the bitcoin that's there and it makes it this the portion of the bitcoin is worth x amount of money and if everyone agrees that it's worth Ten, two times what it was worth yesterday, it's worth two times what it was worth yesterday until something happens like Elon Musk makes his own and then everything disappears and falls yeah. off a cliff. And then everyone says, well, now it's worth 50 cents again. Um, he, the collect is, is about um, a paradigm shift for the entire collector's community and the collector's market. Instead of saying, here is, here is a book, and it's in this condition, and there was one of 199 have been destroyed, so this is the last one left, and I'm going to get CGC to store it in plastic, and I'm going to put it in a safe in a hermetically sealed room and keep it there for 20 years and then come back out and and, um, auction it at Heritage. He's saying that the technology exists that you can own a part of whatever the thing is, whether it's a documentary or a film or a, a piece of artwork where you've got access to it. And it might be that it, he, that's what he's trying to, the nut he's trying to crack with his finance mind because his background's in banking and, and creating um, uh, finance products is how do I make it so that it's uh, accessible to a kid that wants, who's got a small amount of uh, value to invest but a lot of interest in the thing and versus someone who's a millionaire who wants to, uh, have a, a higher influence in it and the the ownership of the piece becomes part of its pedigree and when you pass on or when you pass it on the heritage of that piece the pedigree of that piece goes with it and um i bought a G- giordano batman piece um about 10 years ago and it was an early uh, version of uh a, a digital um what's it called when you have um Providence, digital Providence, where it came from Giordano's um, personal collection and that went through a dealer and then it came to me. And there's a digital um, trail that that goes back, like a certificate of authenticity, that if I ever sell that piece, I can sell that digital trail with that piece. So it says this is where that piece came from. And NFT is kind of an evolution of that thought process because the blockchain technology gained popularity. Um, and, and and I think why we're having trouble getting our head around what Collect is all about is Collect is still designing what it's all about. And so it's all about, but he's talking about the potential of what Collect could be. And, and we're still struggling with, actually, I don't even know the concept of NFT properly. Hmm. It's a, I think it's a digital print and I don't get to have anything. Yeah. So I think Bitcoin is something that crooks use on the dark web. And if you go back to money, 
money is just an agreement that we've all had to say this is this paper is worth or this polymer is worth this much this yeah. amount and it used to be us dollar used to be underwritten by gold and the the british pound used to be underwritten by silver or sterling and that, that's all gone now it's, it's it's all ones and zeros that we're saying we agree it's worth that much money and the nft market is the people who are coming up behind us who are the, the collectors of the future, that's where their mindset is. They don't want the piece of paper. They, the, that Whatever psychologically sets off in our head to say we need to have this because it's got that letterhead on it, it's got a phantom letterhead on it, and we've got to have all of them, and they've got to be lined up and neat and tidy. That's <laughs> it, proof bags and put into a filing cabinet because um, my kids are never going to read it. He's trying to tap into... The, the people that have grown up with a tablet or a device in their hand, they think digitally. Mm. But you sit there not just holding up a comic but surrounded in the background by original artwork as well. Um, and and anyone who owns some original artwork understands the concept of um, having the only one and, and that, that certainly makes it special and the, the, the nature of the image and that sort of thing and we might have personal connection with that artwork, uh, whatever that looks like, is important as well. I, this is and this is exactly what you sort of elucidated there about the the bit I struggle with uh, with an NFT is if I've got that on my phone and I take a screenshot of it that can go anywhere and and everyone owns it like uh, it's surely just a screenshot or a snip or a, a print screen of the NFT while you've actually got it up and looking at it and suddenly that's isn't that then um, you can uh, repeat that multiple times and boom, it's everywhere. Like, how is it any better than a digital print? I don't get it. But, and, and I think it's about the, the, and I think it's about how you can prove the, the right or the, the ownership. That it was the first one. That, that it's either the original or, because he's talking about, um, and, and I may be wrong, but the way I interpreted uh, the way it was being presented by Collect is, um, they're starting off with a, a, a piece designed by Psy. Um, but it's also, they want to capture the story behind that. And you keep talking about it being in the form of a documentary or a book or something like that, where there's a, there is a, a way to tell the story behind the picture. So it's not just about art where you say, I like that because it makes me feel this. It's, I like that because it makes me feel this. And, here is the reason. Here is the reason behind it. This is what the person who created it was thinking. This was their story, and so in 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years time, someone is looking back at that piece and go, "I like that," and they go, "Sorry, who? Oh my God, look at this person!" And they did this when they were ninety four, thirty years after they retired from doing this character. Like it's, a, it's all about that story that you you and I know, but someone new to that piece will just see, oh, that's just a nice picture of a guy in tights. So um, practically, again, if I and I know I keep going back to this, but <laughs> you've got artwork there on the back on the wall behind you. Would that become a, a screen, an iPad, for instance, that's, that's hanging on the wall showing that image and then you press it, you tap it, and, and then you're watching the documentary or is, is that what you mean? I, I don't know, and that's what I think they're, they're not releasing because they haven't tidied up all the legal side of it yet. And I think they're waiting yeah. for some features about, hey, these are all the ideas we've got. Which ones can we do? 
Um, but I'd say it would be, I think there'll be an original piece. I think Cy will do an original piece somewhere on a piece of canvas or book. Yeah. And then I think that they will capture that. But I don't think it's just about the picture of it. I think it's about a documentary or yeah. some sort of product behind it. And then all this provenance to prove that that piece, um, where that piece came from, how it's connected to the physical piece of art. And then if someone, if they wanted to, if you're the owner and you buy it and you want to monetize that documentary because it gets used in a, um, um, a bonus scenes in a streaming service for the next Phantom production that gets brought out or it gets used in a retrospective about, you know, the 80, the 100 greatest um, comic strip artists in American history or whatever, and they talk about Cy Barry, then the money goes back to the owner, which is you. And that's why I keep saying that King Features until they're... Um, until that character's in public domain, King Features can get their kick out of whatever gets monetized out of that as well. And if you put it on diaries or products or through uses it as a cover, that the the everyone who's got part of the ownership of that thing gets a kick back from it. Really? Gets a percentage of it. Okay. I think that's how they what they're talking about with the, the actual one with Sai. Mm. But I think if, it's yeah. about the vision of where this can go. If it if it works out and half of what gets talked about actually comes into um, you know becomes reality, it can be a game changer for the Phantom. Um, it could bring the Phantom into the current and future generations, and I think that's the exciting thing about it is that at the moment, you know, we've joked about it several times in this podcast. But the fandoms for, in Australia especially, the fandoms for old people. Um, so, you know, it's um, it's one thing that I, I see, because my, my daughter now, she's seven, just turning eight, she's now gotten into Pokemon. And one of the ways that Pokemon has, you know, Pokemon was around when we were kids, and one of the ways that Pokemon has re-established itself and even gotten bigger now is because of the Pokemon Go video game. They they turned a card game into a digital thing where you can go around and collect digital Pokemons. And it's revolutionised the whole concept. Um, and something like this could revolutionise the Phantom. It could be the tipping point for us to get a TV show or a movie, or it could be going, you know, King Features could be going, look, we've got this, this is coming out, and then a TV show goes, okay, well, we're going, a TV company can go, we're going to do a TV show that backs on with that, so then that way the documentary that of Cyberry comes in with this, the the provenance, the, the history, you know, can kind of go in with that. And I'm not saying it's going to happen or anything like that, but, if what they're talking about happens, it could change the Phantom. I think another key point is he made a, an interesting point where he's talking about, I think he said he had two sons, a 28-year-old and a 24-year-old. And he made the interesting point that the 28-year-old doesn't get NFTs, but mm. the son who's like three or four years, two, three, four years younger than him, knows NFTs, understands it, buys NFTs and stuff like that as well. And I think 
you're right that there's there is that generational miss that generational gap when it comes to nfts i was offered as payment for a job 20 bitcoin i turned it down and asked for money instead of the most stupidest mistakes i've ever made in my life i didn't understand i'm going no why would i want forty dollars worth you know this is when bitcoin is worth 22 bucks each why do i want forty dollars when i can have you know four hundred dollars so yeah and and then to go back to your point of like uh, to the point i was making about we kind of need to educate ourselves before we can understand what scott was talking about with collect because that 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 conversation will either go away because this will go nowhere or it will continue to evolve and we sort of need to catch up now and for the the percentage of your audience that doesn't understand what blockchain is or um uh, and it just thinks cryptocurrency is over here and it's a fade it'll go away um carly simon wrote your so vain right and she had notably gone out with several uh um like uh, personalities like high profile personalities and everyone was was making all these rumors and uh speculation about who the story was about who is your who is you think this song is about you um and it was was warren Beatty. it was all these different people and there was an auction like 20 years after the song came out there was an auction where she auctioned off the knowledge that she would tell one person the song was about and and it went for a ridiculous amount of money at this charity auction. And she just went over and whispered it in the wow. ear. But as soon as that guy tells somebody else that's Warren Beatty, um, it, the value is gone from the thing that he bought. Mm. But at the moment when he bought it, because everyone wanted to know, and he was the only one who knew, she would have told her mates, but he was the only one who knew uh, in the in the public, and this is before the internet, um, uh that thing that it was nothing it was a secret it's not even ones and zeros it's just ones and now it's just ones and zeros yeah it's, it's what i agree that it's worth and that's exactly what collecting is mm. this is five cents worth of paper and ink yeah but i, but I paid twelve dollars no ten dollars fifty for it and another four dollars for it to get delivered into my motorbike <laughs> <laughs> And then the dollar for the for the acid free type uh, bag and all that. So yeah, the dollar for a bag of cards or whatever, yeah, whatever, all those things. Right? Yeah, interesting, interesting. I'm probably not going to solve it, but I think we should move on, Dan, because this podcast will yeah. never get Duncan on again because he's blown this podcast out in three hours. Now, what I will say though, as we move on, is thank you, Duncan, because I think you've just explained in in fifteen minutes there. Um, you've cut through. I'm still, of course, I'm still not one hundred percent understanding what's going on, but I ser- I feel like I understand it better uh, thanks to the way you explained that. It's probably the best explanation I've heard of uh, cryptocurrency and NFT. So thanks, mate. And I hope that uh, everyone else who's listening to this uh, is is taking another step along that journey, perhaps. So. Um, all right, as we move on, um, Regal Publishers, we, we mentioned them before. Um, as we were going through our comics phase, they've got an anniversary special um, either out or coming out. It's a, what is this? It must be their it's second out. year, two, second um, anniversary? I think it is. It's issue, yeah, second year, issue 25. Well, I, I am, have not been watching any of Facebook. I've no idea what this is, Jim. I probably should have read an article on chroniclechamber.com. I bet you're going to tell me. But probably you- should have. So uh, it's got a couple. So it's the first time 
Uh, Regal have published Cyberry Stories um, in the new version. Um, it's got a, a beautiful painted cover in the in the likeness of Cyberry and another artist who I can't remember, but is an Indian artist. Um, I can verify that Cyberry has seen that image and he was very impressed with that image and he liked the image a lot. So uh, that's a big tick of approval for that. Uh, a couple of stories, I think they're all being coloured. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Regal does more Cyberry Lee Fork stories. Um, and again, as we said before, Ankit will do a review of that and i'm sure fru will have a couple of limited copies that they will sell on their website and let everyone know about that as well duncan i've never um I've never asked you i don't think um do you collect the international uh, publishers as well from from india do you, do you collect the the phantom books and that sort of thing uh i do i've got a subscription to phantom n and uh i get the phantom when uh when they're released and the uh, indian ones i've been picking up as well and, and what are your thoughts on um on the regals I think they're fantastic uh, quality. It's great to see those um, the King Feature stories in colour on on glossy paper, uh, and I think Ankit and the Indian creators are doing a fantastic job with the covers and the internal work that they're doing. Uh, I really like the quality of the productions. Uh, I'd like to see them that kind of product here, and I think it would be quite popular with uh, with readers, particularly young readers, because it's accessible and it looks more like what they're used to reading. Mm. Is that because you got your face in one of the comics? <laughs> Even it's sold out, so there's no point me plugging it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well done. Love that comment. <laughs> Love that comment. Um, yeah, moving on. <laughs> right. So uh, so staying overseas, um, we've already mentioned um, a couple of these, but the but not the, the 2022 Christmas album uh, from Phantomen. Uh, it's available for pre-order now. Um, it, does that come as part of a subscription normally or, or is that no, something? No, it's separate. Um, so this is actually produced by Semic. Egmont helps them and gives them all the stuff, but it's actually a Semic production. And... For those who like a little bit of tidbits and a bit of Phantom history, the Phantom Men Christmas album is the longest in time, the longest ongoing, still-produced Phantom publication in the world. Beats free. Because they put out one each year since, what, 1938? 1944, I believe 44. it was. Yeah. So it's the longest ongoing publication, yeah. Through my drop of the numbers of issues published, but uh, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> but um, you know, got to give the Swedes something to uh, hang their hat on. Um, so yeah, look, there's some great, some great um, uh, cover art and some great comics as well. I've got one of my aims is to collect all of them. I'm about two thirds of the way through all of those at the moment. I'm sure Duncan's got the complete set. Um, ready for the NFT. Um. <laughs> it's scanning them in. <laughs> but yeah, so once it's available for purchase, it usually comes out late October, early no November. I'm just, I just had a quick fear that I got my months mixed up, but no, that's right. So I think it's, yeah, usually late October, early November, the Christmas album comes out and we'll have a review of that on our website mm -hmm. in due course. 
Also, uh, in due course, will be the review of the uh, the Heart of Darkness trade paperback we mentioned earlier and the Phantom and Soft cover album. Um, Mikel mentioned both of those. We talked about them at the time. Anything else you want to add there, Joe? No, just keep an eye on our website through our socials, our website, chroniclechamber.com. Uh, it is worth making mention that if you if you go to our website, chroniclechamber.com, you can put your email address in a little pop-up box that annoys everyone. Um, and then you will be notified when there's a new post coming up. So that's the reason why it's annoying you because it makes you stick your email address in there so that way you'll be notified. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear there's method to the madness. Um, <laughs> the uh, While you're at the website, of course, you can check out the review of the Boss Fight figures, oh, sorry, the Boss Fight Studios, uh, Phantom and Hero, uh, or Phantom and character and steed set phantom and hero um the uh the the video you put together germ was uh was well done um have you picked up the uh the the steed and the uh the boss fight phantom duncan uh i ordered i pre-ordered the phase one whatever it was tier one whatever it was phantom figures uh they came two weeks ago right from the very first run and i ordered the uh ones you just held up through a reseller in australia and they're here at the same time uh i just haven't picked them up but he's got them yeah oh very good the but uh figures look fantastic i've seen them and they look fantastic they really do they as germ said in his review i think the most difficult thing uh for a non-horse person is working out how to pose the legs so they don't look like they're um i've actually been going back and looking at some of jeremy mcpherson's work germ <laughs> to see how he draws horses so i can learn how to pose the bloody thing um in a way that looks somewhat natural and not like he's uh see even there that looks like that back leg is going backwards now what's going on um, so <laughs> i i did i did two reviews of this my first one oh, i'm just had it swiveled first one i'm like oh i don't like it you can't do it you, you know like the phantom falls off and 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 it wasn't until and this is why i stress this point in my second video which is the one that's actually online is that you gotta move the phantom's thighs so he actually stays on the phantom on hero. And then the trick is, is you've got to use that stick. And if you don't use the stick and you don't rotate the phantom's thighs, it is a complete basket case. And you look at it and it falls apart. Uh, but like I was doing the, I was doing the review and like, I got it. And then I breathed and it fell over and I'm just like, oh, this is really frustrating. And then I did a review panning the whole thing. But then I realized <laughs> if you rotate the fires, use the stick, it actually works. Uh, and then what was funny is the, the illustrator of the beautiful artwork, um, Loston Wallace, I think from memory, he actually commented and, um, he made a bit of a slight comment that he can tell that I'm not a horse person by the way that my horse looked in the video. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. So but look, it, it is a great it is a great set. It's worth the money. Um they look nice. Uh it's nice to be able to get something that looks good on a shelf, whether you pull it apart or not. I had some minor little quibbles with the packaging, which I've talked about. Um, but, yeah, go have a look at the review. Um, you, you won't be disappointed in getting it. 
Oh, look, I think um, uh, one thing I'd love to to have work more effectively is that the fandom's hand can hold onto the rein a little bit better. But my goodness, that's such a quibble for what is a really magnificent piece. And, like, if I'd had access to this toy when I was 13, 14, like, you'd you'd think you were in heaven. Like, I, I had a Defenders of the Earth Galoob figure that i love to death and it's so primitive compared to compared to what we've got here with the boss fight there um the quality of it is is just amazing and uh i think um yeah every every phantom fan should have one absolutely and and uh play with it and and yeah get it out of the box and actually have a play with it pose it in different ways the uh uh, do what you need to do to to have a positive experience with it. Twiddle with the thighs and <laughs> um, put the feet in the in the stirrups. Um, but I, I just can't um, can't be uh, praised the boss fight crew enough with this. And the fact that it's so playable directly out of the box, like all of the joints are really smooth. Um, yeah, it's the the guns fit neatly in the hands and in the holsters. There's so much attention to detail with the even the the tiny rings on these tiny hands. Um, you can absolutely tell which one's the good mark and which one's the the skull ring and um no they've, do, they've done a fantastic job with it i thought i broke mine when i moved the ankle because i was not expecting the ankle to be articulated oh right like, yeah. oh no my ankle's broken and then i'm like oh hang on, no it's supposed to be like that I, I thought I broke mine when I did this. Um, <laughs> and uh, if you're watching the YouTube, you can see the Phantom's in two bits. Uh, the torso actually does is just a ball and socket joint on top of the waist. Um, so if you're doing that while you're playing with it actively, don't freak out. You can put it back together. It's not like that old G.I.J. you might have had where the rubber band perished and you could never put him back together again. Um, no, he's, uh, he's a hardy little unit. I have asked them if they're doing anything more. And they didn't answer, so I reckon that might be a yes. So we'll have to watch that space. And there's some talented people doing uh, either still photography or, or motion capture, mm. stop motion photography on the motion capture, stop motion photography using uh, figurines like that. Uh, and so if you're listening and you can do that, uh, share what you do on Phantom Collector on Facebook, please, so I can see it. Because I'd like to see what they do with some of the way they do the lighting and the macro photography and awesome uh, some little snippets. There was a really good Zorro one. I'm not sure if any of you saw that, but it was maybe a minute. I know it's not, you know, I know it's not easy. You know, we've all seen, was it Robot Chicken yeah. back in the day and stuff like that, um, who did a 
Defenders of the Earth one, so maybe we can get another Defenders of the Earth version. But um, but yeah, there's been a Zorro one using the Boss Fight Studios, but um, yeah, it'll be nice to see. Hopefully, we can get something else. You know, uh, maybe an older Phantom with a cape, with the you know the big hat, some more swords, maybe a pirate. Um, so yeah, I'd probably um. Yeah, I'd probably just go for a purple Julie at the moment, to be honest. That'd be a good start. Yeah, but we've already got two Julies. Not like, a purple one. Yeah. I don't know. We don't we don't need the collective rainbow for every every person. <laughs> no, I agree. That's why we shouldn't have had the blue and the red already. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There are there are millions well, maybe not millions, but there are thousands of other fans who like a uh, who, who who believe that their phantom is more than just purple. Of course, of course. All right. Um, for what it's worth, once he goes um, in the display cabinet, there's going to be a purple phantom sitting on him and the grey can go and stand in the corner. Um, <laughs> I love the grey, but he's not getting top billing on top of Hero. So, um, all right. Um, did we have your, Did we already talk about the uh, the original um, Necker as well? Yeah, no, we've done that. We've done that on Mr. Podcast or two. All right. The um, Jan, Jan Hofstrom exhibition. And I thought we did talk about this last time, maybe not on the last Comics and News. So the Jan Hofstrom um, exhibition is uh, still on. It's, it seems to have been on for a while now. Uh, no, this is a new one. Um, <laughs> you really should read our website. What's our website again, Dan? Chronicle.com. I clicked on it there before and I thought I'd read that quickly while uh, someone was talking about something else. And I've, for some reason, it's zoomed far too far in. I can't read it. There's this bloody annoying pop-up box that keeps asking for my email. So, anyway. So, it's uh, look, it's this sweet little restaurant, cafe, museum, exhibition place on the seaside of Sweden. Really picturesque. Uh, amazing views. Uh, thanks to Peter Anderson, who went there, took some photos and got us the information. Um, I think it's closed by now. But, um, yeah, it's it's nice to see. His artwork's a little bit different. Um, I'm assuming, Duncan, you've gone ahead and brought yourself a trench coat. <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> um, I'm only two grand. What are you doing? It's <laughs> yeah, pocket change, isn't it? <laughs> um, I'm sure, I reckon Bradley has brought one. Bradley Peach. I reckon Bradley Peach and, and, uh, and Terry Cray have brought one. Um, but, yeah, Very so... Well. Yeah, yeah, so... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it was just an exhibition for a couple of weeks. Very nice. Uh, it's good to see him promoting the Phantom with some unique styles. Um, and I think, you know, we should see more of it. And if anyone does see some Phantom in some form of expedition or museum or, or art gallery or something, please let us know so we can report on it as well. Absolutely. So tying into that, I want to come back to how we... Uh, uh, as every good story is told, we know this, don't we, Duncan? That we uh, we should finish how we started, and we started by mentioning the the Jan Hofstrom bag here, which was going to come around for our Patreon um, prize draw for the spring Australian spring prize draw. Um, we're a couple of weeks late on that, sorry, but um, a being really busy, and b wanted to do it on the comics and news so we can do it live for everybody. That's the main one. Um, so, Jim, if you'll just let me share my screen, yeah, I've already do? done that. Very good. Um, we'll go to the, we'll go to the wheel here. And so you can see, and I'll just move 
the Chronicle Chamber team over the other side. So you can see down the side here, we've got the names of all of our patrons who have got uh, various entries depending on uh, their level of support. And we really appreciate everybody who helps out with the Patreon because it just um, keeps the keeps the, the lights on and keeps us doing uh, what we want to do and, and what we hope that people enjoy us doing. Um, I don't like the way it stacks up on the wheel there, though, so we'll shuffle those. And so mix everybody around, and let's go for the Patreon draw um, for the spring of 2022. Great tension as we see who's going to win this bag. Oh, Peter, you've missed out by one. He won the, the last bag. Nathan McKee, congratulations. Uh, so we'll send this out to you, Nathan. Um, yeah, it was interesting just seeing that click past Peter because uh, he won the winter prize draw, which was <laughs> yeah. the blue bag. So, Peter, you nearly got the set. But uh, as it stands, that one's going to Nathan McKee instead. So thanks very much, Nathan, for, for all your support and uh, to all of our Patreons who help us do what we do here, um, including the, the Phantom Preservation Project and everyone who is a Patreon has access to that. Um, it, it, it's interesting, Duncan, when you're talking about this museum, this digital library, I feel like the Phantom Preservation Project is a little bit along those lines so i don't know maybe we should be making it and selling it somehow i don't know like on patreon yeah <laughs> rising tide lifts all boats That's all exactly saying. exactly right all right so um that, i think that brings us just to about to an end tonight uh gents is there <laughs> is there anything else that uh, i've missed here no i think uh, Mate mentioned that there will be, we're sorting out the upcoming prize for summer. Um, we've, so that should be coming along quite nicely. And we are looking at a Christmas present for all the Patreons as well. So um, so you should go to Patreon. Patreon.com slash Chronicle Chamber, and uh, or the link is on our website, of course. Um, to to and even if you can only contribute a dollar a month, um, then obviously you're absolutely helping do what we do, and you're putting yourself in the draw for uh, for the the spring draw, the or the seasonal draw. Um, we tend to have uh, something as James just said, Christmas uh, Christmas presents. So we do a, try and do a Christmas in July around Supernova present as well. So um, yeah, plenty so of benefit. Duncan, as someone who does support us, and we thank you for that, why do you support us? Stroke our ego a little bit. Uh, you told me that I couldn't be your friend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've said it a few times when you've been kind enough to have me on, and, uh, and I share it with the the other people that have uh, I've made show an interest in the fandom. The P3, the Phantom Preservation Project that you put, not just uh, aside from the podcast that you're putting out, essentially for free uh, and the website which you're always putting content out on and your, and your socials and everything the phantom preservation project and the work that goes in there is literally worth the price of admission like you it is worth doing it just to go in there and lose a couple of days just trolling through the material that the boys have managed to put together so if you're watching or you're listening and you're curious at all uh subscribe for one month and you won't regret it you'll stay you, you'll come for the You'll come for the clicks and stay for the the nineteen eighties game that's in there, or the, <laughs> the newsletters from forever ago from the from Hendo's uh, Phantom Club. Mm. If you're a new reader and you want to know about the history, have a look. 
And if you're a classic old reader that um, is getting back into the fandom and you turn this podcast on, uh, there's a lot of trips. There's a trip down memory lane for you there on the preservation project. Absolutely. Very good. Thank you for, for those kind words, Duncan, and uh, the checks in the mail. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, look, uh, thank you very much, everyone, who's tuned in and listened to us today, tonight, this morning, wherever you are in the world, and uh, whether you've been using us to to help you get through a long drive or a, a boring shift at work or um, drift off to sleep in the evening to our dulcet tones and where the white noise that uh, that helps you pass away. Uh, well, that was probably a bit extreme. You, but... used to do that. you used to do that, didn't you, Duncan? You used to go to sleep listening to us. <laughs> Do you think you're talking to Stephen again? All right. If you've got any ideas as a listener, if you've got any ideas for topics you'd like to have covered or people you'd like us to talk to, um, obviously over the the 230-odd episodes, we've we've had a chat to a fair whack of uh, creators. And um, uh, if there's people you'd like to hear from again, if there's uh, whatever it might be, get in touch. We've said it a few times. The the email is chroniclechamber at gmail.com, um, which, of course, you can find that and all of our socials through the website, chroniclechamber.com. Um, if you'd like to be notified or essentially receive the newsletter or the get notifications of when a new post goes up um, then you can sign up on the website there as well with the email address that's uh, germ mentioned before and um Yes, with the and and if you do feel uh, like you're in a position to support us on on Patreon, and um, as Duncan said, the P3 is uh, the Phantom Preservation Project is a, a treasure trove to to go through there. Then hit us up on Patreon.com/slash Chronicle Chamber as well. You can subscribe through YouTube's or Spotify, any of your favourite podcast apps, and of course, if you're watching us on YouTube, then I think you click the bell and honk the horn and press subscribe or whatever it might be, um, and then you. you kids today and their nfts and their youtubes and their whatever's <laughs> anyway you know what you're doing so thank you very much for your support thanks for playing along tonight thank you uh Jerv. thank you duncan oh you can tell it's late where you are um thank you duncan for joining us and staying awake uh you've done better than steven already um <laughs> and g'day to steven hope you're enjoying the uh the theme parks and as well all right. Well, until next time, guys, thank you very much again for joining us and happy fandoming. Happy fandoming. Happy fandoming, everyone.